1: I know you want to shimmy in the sun with all your friends, but right now, <laughs> seriously, don't. Hang out from home, where pants are optional. Oh, Phoenix! Hey, yo. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com?
2: TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis. With attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fans. Thechairshot.com. Always
1: use your head. Here comes the big dog.
0: Who you trying to get crazy with? See, eh? don't you know I'm local? <laughs>
3: But when I go out drinking, oh, making my mind slow. That's why I don't fuck with that's why I don't fuck with Adam Cole baby. See, it's all it always works. It always works with the Adam Cole Bebe soundbite. So if you haven't already guessed it, just based on the sound bites alone. Well, this is the Greg DeMarco show. My name is Greg DeMarco. It's funny. I have, I have a list of all things I want to say. I don't, I did not put on the list. My name is Greg DeMarco. Hopefully I can get that part right. If not, we are screwed worse than normal. I did make the list this time because last time I kind of left stuff out. So yes, my name is Greg DeMarco. This is the Greg DeMarco show. If you were listening last week, you heard us live on the air. Change the name of the program, or at least you heard me live on the air. Change the name of the program. I made a mistake. I called it the Greg DeMarco Show. I said, screw it. That's the name once again. Because why not, right? Why not change the name of the show? It was due. It had been a while. So I blame Miranda for letting me change it in the first place after I requested she not do that ever again. And she did. This is, this is not the video version of the show. So you shaking your head doesn't make air. But she's shaking her head. Just want to let you guys know that. She is not claiming any responsibility for her faults, at least this fault whatsoever. And now she's she's either frozen or she's just tired of me. One of the two. I think she's actually frozen, which is funny because we're recording on Zoom today. And, and Zoom is supposed to prevent Miranda from freezing. And Miranda is frozen. So while we wait for Miranda to unfreeze, oh, she back. Like I said, my name is Greg DeMarco. You can follow me on, actually, before I get there. The Greg DeMarco Show is part of the Chair Shot Radio Network, which is the course presented in conjunction with...
2: TheChairShot.com. Always use your
3: head. And you should use your head and visit TheChairShot.com, your home for the hardest-hitting wrestling reviews, opinions, and analysis, all presented with the attitude you've come to know and love since circa 2017.
4: TheChairShot.com. Always use your
1: head.
3: That's right, Miranda. I've known the chairshot.com longer than I've known you. That's mind blowing. Mind blowing. Stuff also highly engaging radio. The shot.com. By the way, it is not just a wrestling website anymore. Oh no, we also presented. We are sports entertainment, sports and entertainment. So you can come in and get great sports content like the three man weave, which comes at you. It'll actually come at you by the time you're listening to this. Three man weave will already be out, but it's not out yet when we're recording this on Tuesday night, July the 7th. We also have entertainment shows like bandwagon nerds hosted by our good friend Patrick O'Dowd, who is not here this week. I'll get there in a moment. Also, like, uh, a winner is you, a brand new video game podcast that, you know, the first week they did it, they said it was going to be every other week. They, they then the very next week didn't do it. Now they're every week. It didn't take long to get them to be in every week show so i'm excited about that we also have the weekly nerd review which is a movie review from the bandwagon nerds crew we also have a weekly video game review coming up every single week as well so lots of fun and the great thing about chair shot expanding its content is that sometimes it just opens the door to do something silly like this weekend i watched my spy the movie with with dave batista and you know dave right our good friend dave dave it's me dave dave
1: dave it's me
3: dave That guy. Um, And and the movie was hilarious. I think I might just write a review of it my damn self and put it up at thechairshot.com because, you know, it's my website.
4: Thechairshot.com. Always use your
3: head. So visit thechairshot.com for all that great, amazing content. And know this about the non wrestling content. If you're like, I don't want non wrestling content. The non wrestling content is put out by wrestling people. It is designed to be crossover content, which means it's made for you, the wrestling fan, to just see some shit not about wrestling. So that's what that is all about. You can follow the website on social media at Chairshot Media. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can follow me on social media at Chairshot That's the same Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email me. What the hell, right? Send. Send me an email, greg Demarco at thechairshot.com. You can also get every single link you could possibly need for me by going to thechairshot.com forward slash gregdemarco. Now, I did mention Patrick O'Dowd not here this week. Patrick is is he's stuck in the basement trying to keep his head above water. Uh, that That is kind of a shoot comment, but not really. Uh, everything's fine in, in the O'Dowd household. He's taking care of it. He will be back. But you can still go follow him on the social media. Lord knows he needs it. At Wrestling Realist, that's W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can also follow the person who is here, and that's Miranda Morales. You can follow her at the hashtag Miranda. Now, with at Wrestling Realist, there's no I in wrestling, but there is one in Realist. At the hashtag Miranda, well, there's an I in Miranda because Instagram doesn't really, I guess there's a limit on the number of characters you can have in a username on Instagram. I just don't know that anyone ever really approaches it. Um, did you have that problem when you were setting yours up? No. See, I take that I as a just no.
4: did it, yeah. and it worked. It did work. Isn't that how social media does? Like, you just type it in, and it works? Kind of.
3: Exactly. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So, you I know.
4: S- I still don't get social media.
3: You don't have to. You're really, you're
4: really I don't want to <laughs> I don't wanna get it.
3: No. Can,
4: so I, can I talk? Because there's so many things I want to ask that I – I, but I was waiting patiently. You're welcome.
3: So, yes.
4: Okay. So you talked about reviewing uh, My Spy. Uh, when are uh, we going to review?
3: Even you laughed at that. Come on.
4: Well, no, just because it missed, it missed. I hit you it didn't, twice. You didn't quite. It didn't matter. Still missed me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a ninja. Okay, Speaking ninja of guy. ninjas. Has nothing to do with ninjas, actually. When are we going to review Money Plane?
3: Oh, I know. With, is, it, is it out? Is I it out saw now? the
4: trailer for Money Plane. Oh my gosh, it's it's it is a sea loaded movie.
3: That's awesome. So, is it out yet? I don't know. I know it's coming out sometime definitely. in July. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see if it's out yet or not. We'll definitely. We said that was a great shit like- show.
4: From what uh, I can gather, it's like snakes on a plane, but no snakes, but a casino on the plane ooh. that like gets to uh like you could do anything on the casino plane and there's like lots of money in there and Edge has to take it down. Of course Edge does.
1: Enough is enough! I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Everybody step in. I'm about to open some fucking window.
3: That's just a great soundbite. Like I just love that. So film.
4: exactly why why are more movies not like snakes on a plane? I just I just don't get it. I I don't know. It's
1: enough, supposed to come out enough. July ten. I have had it with these okay. motherfucking snakes so on this motherfucking plane. Everybody step in.
0: Sucking nerd.
3: Okay, so here we are. Hear the belief we are. So, yeah, we're going to do that at some point. We're going to review, what's that movie called?
4: Money Plane.
3: Money Plane.
4: It That's... has both Lawrence brothers in it. Like, come what? on. Well, two out of the three Lawrence brothers. Really? In it. In... Yes.
3: The only one that matters is Joey. Whoa. Like that, Joey Lawrence. That's what we need more oh, of.
4: Oh, he's in it. Of course he is.
3: Come on, what else is he going to do? I mean, really. Like,
4: and Kelsey Grammer and Denise Richards. I mean, look at this star-studded cast. It's just being called not to to be seen.
3: Yeah, we're definitely going to watch that and review it. That sounds like a perfect shit show. Oh wait, it comes out on the tenth. Yes. Okay, so this is. I should have had this conversation off air, but you know what the fuck, right? Let me make sure. We're Whatever. Recording. Yeah. We are recording. Okay, good. So I am on vacation next week, and so therefore Ooh. cannot cannot record. I mentioned it last week, but you forgot. It's okay. Yeah, um, no. I mean,
4: we have a squirrel here. That's
3: right. Um, so you may not have heard. I'm on vacation next week.
4: Ooh. Let's take a
3: drink. Yeah, it's a staycation because you just can't plan anything right? You know, these days. So That's true. I will be chilling at an Airbnb because oh. I was even worried. Originally, we were going to stay at a resort and, and the lovely and talented Mrs. DeMarco and I booked a resort stay a while ago. For the family, you know, during the whole COVID madness, because you don't know what Mm -hmm. you can do and where you can stay. And then the governor shuts everything down, including the pools. And so I contacted the resort and they're like, well, there's some, you know, the pools are open, but there's limited and this and that. And I was just like, screw it. So I canceled that and booked an Airbnb so we can just have a place to ourselves, including the pool, and do that. And it was the same price. So, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're staying at some poshi place in Scottsdale for a week
4: oh yes of course if mm-hmm. you're gonna do a staycation it has to be in scottsdale
3: Yeah, it doesn't have to be but this one is so
4: i i mean it doesn't have to be but like why are you doing it if it's not in scottsdale yeah, no yeah, one's gonna do a staycation in mesa like well, just what's really funny sense.
3: is that because there's so many airbnbs in scottsdale it's actually cheaper to do an airbnb in scottsdale than it would be to say do one in mesa um, just because yeah. there's so many. We're in Mesa there's probably like two good ones. Or in Scottsdale, there's like eighty-four thousand good ones. So Yeah. The odds are definitely in your favor if you want to stay in Scottsdale. So what we could do is we could actually since this thing comes out on the tenth, we could try to record something over the weekend and push that out next week as, as Who knows? Yeah. Or, I mean the, the people love the show. Or, We gotta
4: give or. the people the content that they need and that they deserve.
3: They do deserve it. You're right. They they do. You're one of the people.
4: They deserve a review of Money Plane. <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Edge. They were. They, they don't deserve a review of Money Plane starring Edge. They deserve us reviewing yes. Money Plane. Not just anybody. Edge. Us. That's Brandon Morales and
4: Greg Demarco doing that's, a review on
3: Money Plane. That's what is Miranda necessary.
4: just asking every five seconds. Where is the snake? Is there a snake in this movie? Where is the snake? Because this movie would be really funny with a snake. Uh, and Greg wanting to to grab me through the screen and be like, "There's no snakes."
3: Why would I want to grab you through the screen when every time you do that, I can just do this?
1: Enough is enough. I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Everybody step in. I'm about to open some fucking windows. This is such good shit.
3: All right, so I want. So here's the thing about this week's Greg Demarco show. It's a little bit different than normal. We got one topic we're going to talk about, and then I have talked the past two weeks. Uh, maybe three weeks, I don't know, that I have recorded an interview with Jim Greasehaber. It's an amazing interview. It's such a good interview. I can't believe I'm sitting on it for so damn long. And I haven't been able to release it yet. So with no Patrick being in this week, I am going to tack that interview onto this show. And that interview is a good long interview and it's highly entertaining and and you're going to love it so that's going to be at the end of this show so we are only going to talk one topic and then internally here at the chairshot.com we're going to go record the hashtag Miranda show after that but you all are going to hear the amazing interview with Jim Grease Hopper so please check that out you're going to love it follow him at Jim Grease that's j-i-m-g-r-i-e-s underscore on social media, such a great dude. We'll talk about that during the interview, but you will love the interview with Jim Grease Hopper. So we have a topic to get into and boy, is it going to be fun just based on the text exchange that we've had. Miranda knows it's going to be fun because Greg's not happy about it. And when Greg's happy about a topic, it's always fun to talk about. But Miranda, before we do that, before we get into the not happy stuff, let's get into the happy stuff. And let's sell some motherfucking t shirts.
4: Damn, no censorship up in this bitch. So, yeah, we're gonna sell some motherfucking t shirts on this motherfucking show. And that means you, can... <laughs> that means, yes, we're gonna go, you right now, you should go to prowrestlingtees.com. Forward slash the chair shot. And there you can find over 25 different variety of T-shirts available uh, all in support of the chair shot uh, And yeah, if, if you want to spend a few extra dollars on yourself, which you should because you are amazing, you can get any shirt uh, that is listed uh, in soft style, which means a little bit more comfortable fabric, a little bit more breathable fabric uh, and, and a whole lot more feeling good uh there you can find multiple always use your head t-shirts chair shot worldwide uh the corona chair shot shirt uh second nerds which you heard it earlier what, what one of my favorites uh baron corbin sucks because he does that's just truth uh, the unofficial official t-shirt of one Patrick O'Dowd hashtag save tag team wrestling and of course my very own personal favorite the queen of soft style shirt all t-shirts start at 19 dollars and again if you want to spend a few extra dollars you can get it in soft style both sleeveless and not sleeveless or sleeveless and regular shirt whatever you want to call it you can get both of them in soft style because it is Ah.
3: Oh. Leave it to Miranda to freeze during her commercial that she's doing. So you froze. You froze, but you're back. You you you, yeah. you said, so here's, you didn't exactly leave it off here, but let's pick it up from sleeveless or not sleeveless.
4: Yeah, sleeveless or not sleeveless shirts available. I don't know what the proper terminology is for not sleeveless. I think it's just
3: shirt. shirt. Just <laughs> shirt. Yeah. Well, sleeveless and soft,
4: So go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot where you can get your very own chair shot t-shirt. That is prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot to get your very own chair shot t-shirt today.
3: Right, so the song you heard there is, of course, the theme song for Sasha Banks. By the way, I need I need to back up. I forgot to talk about something during the intro, Miranda. That's very important. I meant to tell you ahead of time, but didn't think to do it. Um, because why plan ahead, really?
4: Why? <laughs> why? Why do <laughs> we?
3: Things are far more entertaining when we don't plan them. So this show is being recorded on Tuesday night, July seventh, just like the hashtag Miranda show. However, I decided for this week, this show is being released on Thursday. Your show is being released on Wednesday. Why? Because your topic involves Wednesday night. And while I am a firm believer that no one listens to podcasts because of the content, because you can hear anybody talk about Fighter Fest and the Great American Bash, anybody anywhere can talk about Fighter Fest and the Great American Bash. Like, they just will. It's wrestling. There's only so much to talk about, especially now but if you want to hear us talk about it, then you're going to want to tune into the hashtag Miranda show with myself and Miranda Morales. And while it's equally entertaining, no matter what day you listen to it, why not release it before the shows actually take place? So you can, that's an
4: executive order there from
3: that's the one executive order in this state that actually makes sense is the one that I just gave. So that's right. Fuck off governor. (laughs) I shouldn't say it out loud, but I will. I'm still going to the gym. What?
4: The first wasn't it the first rule about fight gym? You don't talk about
3: fight gym. <laughs> I didn't call it fight gym in my text. I'm gonna start calling it fight gym from now on. Cross fight. Yeah,
4: that's just yeah. yeah cross, cross, fight fight. Just,
3: just cross, cross fight gym club. Just cross <gasps> fight gym club. Ooh. Nah, it's too long. That's too. It's too obvious too. Cross fight gym club. Just call it cross cross no. fight. Fight gym. Cross fight. Cross club. No. I think CrossFit might work, but gym club. Fuck, I don't know.
4: No, no, that, that's boring. We'll, we'll Look, that. I, I admire you guys in Phoenix. I I, I real quick, quick sideline story because uh, this was supposed to be short, but no, uh, I, my gym has closed and we've converted our uh exercise groups or our boot camp class to outdoors and the first. Uh, week that we did that, uh, my instructor uh, was still kind of in awe about the executive order from the governor of Arizona. And she said, Hey, you know what though? I've noticed people in Phoenix are losing their minds. Like Phoenix is really fighting this. And my mind automatically went straight to, you know, your messages and things that I've been seeing in the news of like Phoenix fighting it hard. And Tucson's like, okay, we're pretty my, sure. we'll we'll make it my
3: threats to punch people in the face.
4: Yes, yes. <laughs> and I told my instructor how you were so confident that Tucson was going to follow suit and we just all looked at each other like, nah, we're cool. Like, we're we're pretty chill down here. So uh, things have remained closed and we've just converted things outside. Uh, and uh, we're, that's just what we're going to do from now on. And if if anything, it's only been more torturous. You've seen pictures. Uh, now that the wheels have been let loose, the confines of walls are no longer there. I don't know what it is with my instructor, but she's very much a mad scientist in only the best ways. But now she's like, Oh, we don't have any space limitations. We're going to run all over this park. So be glad because things could be worse where, uh, (laughs) your instructor is like, these walls aren't going to hold us down or hold us back. Now you're going to do all these other crazy things that you've never done before. Like beat up a dummy. Uh
3: Which is funny because at at, at um, or whatever we're calling it, we're more Crossfight. confined because we need to make it seem like no one's there. So we don't go outside, which means we don't run outside. We don't do any of that kind of stuff. They have these huge garage doors, which are almost always open. They've been closed. Like, it's weird. I was just to, it literally feels like I'm in some, like, speakeasy version of a gym right now, like, when I go. Like, it's just, if you know, you know. And, and it's weird, too, because – no, I'm only seeing a certain few people like not everyone's there. Cause not everyone knows like, it's just mm-hmm. weird. Um, but yeah, it's been just another wrinkle in, in, in the COVID conspiracy. I, I don't want to say conspiracy cause I don't think it's a conspiracy, but it's been a thing and the thing continues. So thing. yeah, who knows? All right. Let's talk about our topic because it is a topic. So this week today, actually, um, pro wrestling illustrated, Magazine, we've all read. We all, I used to remember say, finding it. I remember the first time I ever saw it in a grocery store and, and picked it up as a kid. And um, they released today the old PWI 500, and they didn't release the PWI 500 today. That's a great day on Twitter. That's like almost as good as November <laughs> when people start talking about the Montreal drop Like two of my favorite days PWI 500 day, Montreal job day. Those are great oh. days. Um, for me, they're great days. For other people, they're not. But they did release today that, that they are changing the PWI 500 and basically the PWI 500 is going to include women. Now on the surface, this sounds fucking amazing. Like this is, this is what they should be doing. Right. But it took all of 84 seconds for them to clarify that. No, 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 no. We're not saying that we're just going to rank men and women together. What we are saying is we're going to include women who compete for men's championships. So basically 499 men and Tessa Blanchard are going to be in this year's yeah. PWI 500. It says, and who
4: even knows what that looks like now? Because she's not competing anywhere. And maybe in the next company that she goes in isn't going to compete. Probably not.
3: Probably not. Um, so
4: the timing on that announcement, PWI, like, not the greatest timing.
3: No, it's Not the greatest announcement because it's stupid. <laughs> and it just, like, at first it's awesome. And, and then it just, it's, I don't want, I'm not going to say who said this because they're probably going to say it on their podcast later this week, <laughs> pot is war. But basically it, the, the quote was, I'm tired of this half-ass woke bullshit because that's what this is. Like, if you're going to do it, just do it. Just put everybody in the same PWI 500. Like this is garbage to me. Like, I, I and I know we're getting into, I'm already giving my opinion without asking into her opinion and we will, but I, that's how passionate I am about it. I hate it. I think it's stupid, I think it's asinine, and I think it's just, it's almost worse than keeping them separate, in my opinion. And and that's kind of where, and, and I'll go into a little bit more, Miranda, but what do you think?
4: Well, I agree that at first glance with the initial announcement, it was a, a real light of optimism that everyone was going to be on the same playing field and i'm reading and i'm not sure if this is the initial message that went out on their twitter so i want to ask you to confirm the original uh, statement that they released uh that that you know got this whole thing started so uh they posted that effective this year the pwy 500 will include wrestlers who regardless of gender best fit our usual criteria and they list the criteria of win loss records, technical ability, influence on the sport, success against the highest grade of competition, success against the most diverse competition and activity. And I don't know if, yeah, that's about it. So was this the original message from them? In yeah. Which that okay? And, and then, then they went back, it spiraled out of control. To say yeah, and then it spiraled out of control. Like mm, actually. Uh, cause, cause that in it of itself is a strong statement to say, regardless of gender going to be on one list, because I do feel like there, and what we've seen, especially over the past year is that there are women who outperform men on some of these categories. Now I understand within the scale of say success against the highest grade of competition or, uh, technical ability, you know, I mean that, that in and it of itself will be different in, range between men and women in their, and I would say more in just where they're working and kind of their respective pools of competitors and things like that. I think there's a wider uh, range of men and more uh, uh, opportunity for them to wrestle uh, different people than for women. And I think that that though is now closing the gap because there's more women coming into professional wrestling. There's more opportunities for them to wrestle where they're not just one or two matches on a show anymore. They're now taking over cards. So I feel like within response to what promotions are doing on both a small scale and larger scale, there's more opportunities for women to be incorporated and to have a higher rankings on, on this. And also 500 is just a lot of people, like 500 you could 500 incorporate women into this and it actually will strengthen the, on this list instead of you're diluting what I think you dilute the list by adding you know uh 500 like 500 people is a lot but I think it strengthens it when you put it together so That initial announcement, I think, got me very excited, very optimistic. However, when they kind of pulled back and said, no, actually, we're only going to be doing that with it. it, To me, it doesn't make sense because even on the independent level, there are women who do wrestle men. um, And there are some women who do wrestle for, I guess, what they call men's championships. But now there's titles even that are becoming more inclusive. So I'm very unsure about their definition of this. Um, And you're absolutely right. If if they are really defining it by just women who wrestle for men's championship, that's literally on one hand, you could count that.
5: Yeah, Um, Tessa Blanchard.
4: Yeah.
3: In terms of a high profile,
4: Yes, setting. which that that's really going to be what they're they're looking at. So I, I it's a little disappointing that they pulled back on it because there could have been some real growth within the industry, and we're also coming out of a, a huge movement of speaking out, where just uh, women uh, and and men, but people throughout the wrestling business. You know, commented and spoke about their stories of of harassment, of about being held down for one reason or another, and to be able to use a list like this that is uh, objective or should be objective, um, that could really help people. You know, promote their careers. I know that even if you are number four hundred and ninety nine or number five hundred,
3: you froze again. You're frozen, but. We will wait for Miranda to unfreeze, and while Zoom was supposed to prevent the freezing of Miranda, and it hasn't prevented the freezing of Miranda. Oh, she's back! You were frozen, and then you you unfroze. Uh, But what I want to so here's Uh. (laughs) here's a big problem I have, not with your freezing, but with because I'm used to that. Um, The big problem I have with everything that that this is is it's months ago we had this conversation. I've written at least one article about it, if not more. I still can't stand that we have a WWE championship and a raw women's championship that we have the universal championship and the SmackDown women's championship. Like it's still separate. Like one is named to represent the entire company. The other is a women's championship. And so you're still presenting that women's titles is less than now. NXT tried. They, they tried to have the, you know, Adam Cole was the NXT champion and Rhea Ripley was the NXT champion. And they abandoned it after a few weeks. And Becky Lynch even came out and said she wanted them to, to change them as well. I think you go the other way and you have a men's NXT champion and a women's NXT champion. And, and you at least acknowledge both to then not put one over the other. Well, Pro Wrestling Illustrated has the PWI 500 and the women's 100, which used to be the female 50. So one is the PWI 500, all of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and it's a men's list. The other one is the women's 100, all of women's wrestling, and it's a women's list. And so they're still presenting it as as, as segregated and less than. Because the list for the entire business is just men. It has had women in it before. China was in it. I think uh, Jazz was in it when she was wrestling against men. Like there have been women that made the PWI 500, but it's few and far between. And, and Tessa Blanchard definitely should. But what, what really got me was a statement they made. And I, I quote tweeted it because of how dumb it is. They gave this example. How can we rank Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins on the same list when they could never meet in a WWE ring. Now, here's the question I have for you, Miranda Morales: How can you rank Seth Rollins and Kazuchika Okada on the same list when they yeah. can never meet in a WWE ring? What's the difference? In
4: fact, what's the difference? I
3: would, I, I, I would uh, uh, opine, I would. Suggest to you, we're more likely to see Seth Rollins versus Becky Lynch in a WWE ring than Seth Rollins versus Kazuchika Okada or Kenny Omega or anybody not in WWE in a WWE ring. So that logic is extremely flawed and just downright stupid. So I just, they missed the mark to me. And what really saddens me about it was this was an opportunity to really do something that that's ahead of the curve and even not fully ahead of the curve, but for this business, it's ahead of the curve, yeah. but instead they're still lagging behind. They're like, well, we're going to sort of kind of include women, but only women that compete with men for men's championships. And so, and we're still going to give women their own list because it's just dumb. And, and here's the thing. You could take the women's 100 and I would say somewhere between 90 and hundred of them would probably be in the PWI 500 if you yeah. did that list the way you're supposed to do it. Uh,
4: again, I, I feel like integrating the list will actually strengthen the list. You're mm-hmm. not going to dilute it with people that you're not necessarily scrambling for, but I think that it's going to strengthen it with better Competitors. Um, I mean, you look at again the criteria they're looking at win loss records. When you are only having men on there, then you're going to have people with really strange win loss records on there uh, because you're only you're looking for 500. Yeah. male wrestlers they don't list the win loss Um,
3: records anyway like that's so stupid that they even said yeah
4: yeah i mean i know that i'm just based off the criteria but there's and again i don't know how these are weighted you know and all those types of things but you know in other aspects where here's here's a secret
3: here's a secret for you they don't either
4: (laughs) uh so that's why in a follow-up tweet they said uh as far as clarifying uh, in the thread, that uh, they said a few things as far as you know, uh, an example that someone provided about Alaska, but they said we realize this isn't yet the ideal fully integrated list, but we do expect we'll get there in time, which means. Uh, this was not thoroughly thought out and maybe they didn't even really truly think about it until everyone made a fuss about it. And now they're thinking, Oh crap, we need to figure this out. That's uh, or we should figure this out because yeah, I, I don't know what the weighted process on this, but they do have criteria and, and it is some kind of system. I don't know, you know, but the point is that by adding women of, of value, women that are, are competing very heavily in this business, it's only going to elevate everyone else on the list. It's only going to strengthen the list. So uh, I, I just look at it as a, as a missed opportunity for that. And, and it just doesn't, to me, it just doesn't make sense while you're not trying to integrate the two lists together.
3: If you look at last year, last year, they put together the list. I don't remember who was number one, who cares? Had they had women and men together, Becky Lynch would have been number one. Like, it's just yeah. hands down.
4: I mean, and you look looking at things August like activity, influence yeah. on the sport, you know, looking at that criteria, number one. she's the, the the number one in the entire company of the world's largest sports right. entertainment. For
3: companies. that year, for the year of August that ended August, yeah. 2019, because that's when they do August, August, maybe July to July. I don't know. But either way that which is why they're doing that now, because they're getting ready to compile their rankings. And it, it's just it's just crazy to me. That it, they they could have been ahead of the curve. Instead, they're staying behind, and then they made this announcement, which got everybody all excited, but then didn't. So that was dumb, and it's a bad look. It's just it's just just bad overall. Like like you're better off keeping it separate, in my opinion. I, I do want to point out, and I know this is going to get pointed out on another show. We do the chair shot fifty every year, and guess what? Since its inception, the chair shot fifty has involved men and women because I refused to separate them. And when we do the end of the year, we do the man, woman and tag team of the year. We, we don't say wrestler of the year and woman of the year. We say man of the year, woman of the year, and then tag team of the year. And last year we even considered women's tag teams in, in, in tag team of the year. So, and even if you look at their rankings, like when they rank, you know, their top 10 tag teams in the world, their top 10 wrestlers in the world, it should just be men and women. Like there's just, at this point it's, you're already ranking people that don't wrestle each other for the most part. When, when you're Mm -hmm. going company against company, so there's really no difference to me than, than with ranking men and women as well. So the whole thing's just stupid, in my opinion. I, I just just can't stand it. And I like I said, you're better off not doing anything. And, and, you know, sometimes you're just better off not doing anything and this is one of those times. And I just—it
4: was so poorly worded, and yes, it, it just led to a lot of optimism and hope that if that wasn't their intention, like they shouldn't have have released it the way that they did, and and especially for a company that produces a magazine of written content frequently, the fact that you put out a tweet that isn't you know framed in the right way—that too is very disappointing. Like yeah, it's your okay. job to write things well, and the fact that you can't even write your own tweet well.
3: <sighs> yep yeah I mean, it's just i can't i can't down.
4: claim to write anything that's why i don't put out a magazine so you know i get it but that's also why i criticize i i i i absolutely get I, I get the frustration on all sides i get people defending it still uh i i understand that change is uh, a hard pill to swallow sometimes and I do want them to do this the right way. If it does take time for them to do it, do it. but Don't
3: So we froze again. But here's the question, I, why why take time to do the right thing at this point? We don't need to take time to do the right thing. We're there. We're, this is 2020, man. This is the year of ripping off the band aid. Like, like, we've ripped off the band aid on everything this year. But, but yet, yeah, we're kind of peeling it off for this. It's just so stupid. I just thought, and, and here's the thing here's the problem. And this is the ongoing theme when we talk about what's wrong with the world. This always comes up. White dudes. Guess who's in charge of this process? White dudes white dudes still can't get anything right white dudes are the reason why baseball screwed everything up white dudes are the reason why uh, so much stuff is going on white dudes are the reason why miranda has to go to gym in the park and i have to sneak around my gym white dudes it's all about white dudes and white dudes you're getting a big thumbs down on
0: this one promotional consideration paid for by the following Sierra
1: hotel india echo PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only five ninety nine dollars per month. Get your free trial today at
3: powerslam.tv. Over 150 of your favorite promotions and combat zone wrestling. Powerslam.tv. Get your free month by using the promo code ChairShot. That's right. Promo code ChairShot. Powerslam.tv. Promo code ChairShot. That's Powerslam.tv promo code chair shot
4: lucha-masks.com by pro wrestling revolution bringing you in partnership with mask republic the lucha brothers as well as japanese legend ultimo dragon go to lucha-masks.com and fight lucha strong with masks from your favorite lucha legends and pro wrestling revolution luchadores Stay safe in style and represent your favorite luchador. Get yours now at lucha-masks.com, powered by Pro Wrestling Revolution.
1: All right, gentlemen, you have three minutes, and you better make it good. We got three minutes, and we're out of here. The clock is ticking, and we're in the clear. We got three minutes, that we're out of here. We got three minutes, that we're out
0: of here.
3: All right, Miranda, I'm going to give you five words to introduce this week's three-minute warning, and you to talk about it first. Sound good? These are not okay. hashtag Greg Writes. This is just how we're doing it. Okay? It's very easy. Trust okay. me. Very, very simple. <laughs> five words coming your way now. Those five words are new United States championship belt. It
4: looks okay, I guess.
3: No, you could say more than five words. I was just oh, giving I, you five
1: <laughs> I was
3: going to say five words and then you can talk about whatever you want. Yeah, this is not your show. This is this is just me saying I'm I'm going to introduce the topic in only five words then we're going to talk about it. New United States Championship Belt.
4: I still stand by those five words. I I slept on it. I didn't like it at first. I slept on it. I feel a little bit better on it now. Uh, but it still looks okay to me, I guess. I think anytime you change a belt, there's always going to be feedback, somewhat criticism, uh, on it and people just get so used to the way a belt looks, um, that any time a change happens, it's just going to take a while to get used to. But I'm still on the on the fence about it. I'm sure it will grow. T- uh, I'll grow to like it. I'm more interested in the story behind it that it was revealed by MVP and not the actual champion. So we have two United States champions right now. I'm I'm not sure Kinda? how the story's unraveling.
3: Maybe kind of it smells like a ladder match to me. I don't know.
4: Ooh. Yeah, I, and it's extreme rules, so why not?
3: Or let's, a belt let's for a belt match to go along with the eye for an eye match.
4: <laughs> so uh, you know, but uh, you know, it's a new it's a new season in WWE, so why not shake things up with a new championship belt? Uh, I I think the first view of it was a, a it looks smaller for some reason. I don't know if that's the truth. But, you know, it's, uh, there's things about it I do like. I do like the big eagle in front of it. Uh, Very patriotic, very reminiscent of other belts. Um, Not so much, not as much color as you have in the current United States Championship, which I think that's going to take some getting used to. But uh, I would say that I like how it's been incorporated into the story between um, Apollo Crews and MVP. So if that's, you know, an aspect of the story, I don't mind it.
3: Yeah, so here's the issue with the belt. On its own, I don't think it's a bad-looking belt. I really don't. The problem I have with it, it's kind of like that new Intercontinental Championship. On its own, perfectly fine-looking belt. But I don't think it's better than the belt it replaced. And that's the problem that I have with it. The two belts the company didn't need to replace were the Intercontinental Championship and the United States Championship. The two belts the company recently replaced are the Intercontinental Championship and the United States Championship. Like, this is... This is, this is WWE doing everything that people say they do and complain about they do. Thank you, WWE, for proving everyone right this time because this is this is what you did, and you didn't need to. Whereas the stupid-ass tag team championships got to go, and we don't find it necessary to change those because we don't care about tag team wrestling. Sorry, Patrick O'Dowd. And yet here we are with a new United States championship, a new Intercontinental championship. We don't need them, whereas there's other belts they could have replaced and and... Been a whole lot better off because of it. Uh, I, I don't mind the design. I just like the old one better. Is really all it was, yeah. and I don't think we needed it. No one was 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 pounding the table for a new United States Championship, and yet we have a new United States Championship. But sometimes I think it's just change for change's sake, and I think that would have been fine. But dude, change those damn tag team titles. Those things look like garbage, and and why not get us a better a better belt there? Um, like I said, on its own, the design totally fine with it just uh the the it wasn't necessary the execution wasn't wasn't it was fine but um better than just revealing a new belt i guess but at the same time eh, eh, i just eh.
4: right why yeah
3: why just, just exactly why why do that i don't know why do that i have no idea All right. So that's going to do it for this portion of the Greg DeMarco show where you're about to do now is a place of music. And you'll listen to the amazing interview that I recorded with Jim Greishammer. Enjoy the heck out of that. It's a whole lot of fun. Uh, and, and I'd love to hear what you think. You can let me know what you think about it over at Chairshot Greg, and all your forms of social media. You can even email me, Greg DeMarco at the chair shot.com. If you don't like it, just, just tell Miranda at the hashtag Miranda on all of your forms. Well, not all of your forms. Social media, just Facebook and Instagram because she don't need no Twitter because she is Facebook, the Twitterless yeah. heroine and Twitterless heroine herself. One of a million and a half nicknames that she has on this show. But, but definitely check it out. I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, enjoy that. And you know what? Next week we'll figure out what the heck's going on there. But until then, for Miranda Morales, I am Greg Demarco reminding you to do what.
5: When I was young, I had to pay a lead, besides that, the pinstripes and the gray, uh-huh. the one I wore on Mondays and Wednesdays, uh-huh. while niggas flirt, I'm throwing tigers on my shirt, and alligators, uh-huh. you wanna see the inside, but i see you later, they come the drama, oh, that's that nigga with the fake, uh-huh. wow, why you punch me in my face, stay in your place, play your position, uh-huh. Here come my intuition, uh-huh. go in this nigga pocket, rob him while his friends watch it. that whole flock uh-huh. here comes respect, This crew, what they might be next. Look at them, they're big men, they never try, so we roll with them. i uh, with them. I mean, loyalty. Niggas put me milk at lunch. The milk with chocolate, the cookies, right or the brunch. Ain't it? I cost some blue and white stuff. That's life. All right, Notorious B.I.G. bringing us in with Jim. Jim, I am so excited to be doing this, but I want to go way far back as we, uh, as we get this started because we have something in common, something that, that we didn't go to the same school, but our schools definitely have a rivalry in common. Is I graduated from Virginia Tech, and well, you, you went to the U, University of Miami. And so wait, technically, we're rivals. Yeah, you're a hokey bird. <laughs> I am a hokey bird, yes. I have several you know what hokey I still, birds You know in the my first house. thing
2: that comes to mind when you, when you tell me you went to Virginia Tech? What's Still that? to this day, Greg, how the hell did they beat us so many times? But now that I look at the state of the Miami program, and even Virginia Tech, it's such a different landscape now. And Frank Beamer is a legend. And there's so many mm-hmm. great players that went to VTech in Miami, of course. But I, I think of, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when I really think is going to that stadium, and you'll know this, is that stupid clucking noise you guys play all night. <laughs> all night long, that cluck, noise. Oh, and I'm like, no, oh, yeah. not again. Stop this stupid clucking noise.
5: And that's like this little wooden t- noisemaker that you spin, and it makes that noise. And I never had one, but I had plenty of friends who did, and that thing is just crazy insane. You probably remember that. You probably remember people shaking their keys all the time as whenever there was a key play, third downs and whatnot, we would always shake our yep. keys. Basically, the rise of the Virginia Tech program basically came at the expense of Miami in a lot of ways. Like, that was In a lot of ways, Miami those big
2: wins over Miami made a lot of mm-hmm. kids go there, you know. And I was there for a lot of those games. And I saw Virginia Tech play at Virginia Tech against West Virginia the year that mm. Vic got hurt before he got hurt. And I, I still to this day have never seen a better college football player than Michael Vic. And, and I didn't see Dion play in college, and there's a couple other guys. Right. But, Michael Vick was unbelievable, man, and, and you guys just crushed West Virginia, and I mean, you were both top ten, and uh, that, was, that was a very good West Virginia team that you guys just dismantled, and Vick got hurt later in the year, and we beat them um, with an injured Michael Vick, and that was the year that we won the whole thing, and then there was the mm-hmm. year that uh, we went to Blacksburg and barely, barely beat them. Actually, the year we beat you guys in Blacksburg on the last two-point conversion, that with, with Buchanan breaking it up in the end zone, that was the year we won it all. And that was one of the right. best college football teams of all time. You guys still almost beat us. Blacksburg was uh, not a place where Miami liked to go play. And then the following year in, um, in Miami when Dorsey and Willis, I mean, it was like a, a game in the 40s um, score-wise. Yeah. It was another close game with you guys. And, just, and I remember the game the first time you guys beat us. I remember. And I was there the first time you guys got real close, the 94 game, in the Orange Bowl I was a student then. And you guys, that was a really close game. And I think, if if I'm not mistaken, that was uh, the first year that Frank Beamer really put you guys on the map in terms of national recognition. And then the next year, Virginia Tech beat Miami with Ray Lewis and that whole team in Blacksburg. And I and, and then the next year, you guys beat us in Miami. And I was like, oh man, okay, so like three years in a row, you guys beat us, maybe more.
5: That's year. Virginia Tech beat Miami. That's the year that Virginia Tech goes to the Sugar Bowl and. That really, you're right. I mean, that really is when Frank Beamer put the program on the map. It, it's funny because we also don't quite overlap, I don't think, because I graduated in 99. I started in 95 at Virginia Tech. And uh, it's funny because the year I graduated was Michael Vick's red So he's there, but all he was was this myth we heard about an amazing player that was going to come to the program. And, man, you know, say what you want about what happened to him afterwards and all that, but but in terms of circles of Virginia Tech, he is – he put the program up, and so much that program. And, and it's funny because when he, you know, when he left, their applicant pool tripled. So they were getting triple the applicants to go to College of Virginia Tech, thanks to thanks to Michael Vick. The university, to their credit, admitted that it was because of Michael Vick. I also worked years later at the University of Connecticut, the year that they won the men's and women's national championship in the same year, and their applicant pool doubled. They tried to attribute it only to the academic success and said it had nothing to do with sports. And we both know better. We, we know what it drives. But, yeah, you and, and, and the Miami experience. And, of course, that was all back in the Big East. That was before both schools ended up in the EACC. And, and yeah. it was a huge, huge thing. But what made you even go to Miami? What, what caused that choice for you?
2: The Football team. <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> you
2: just said it, right? And I graduated in 96. And, and I have – don't let me forget about the Connecticut angle here, too, because I'm from Connecticut – um, and a lifelong UConn fan, one of the best nights of my life was 1999 when UConn beat Duke and Duke had the four first-round picks. But but the Miami thing, I grew up watching the Canes in the 80s and also my uh-huh. stepfather and my stepbrothers. My stepbrothers all grew up in Miami. And all I heard about <laughs> was, you know, that stupid Miami Dolphins song. And I was a Cowboys fan. So there's no way they were making me a Dolphins fan. But um, Zonka and Kick, and years later I did a radio show with Jim Kick. But I went to Miami, I grew up and I was watching – you know, when they beat Nebraska with Bernie Cozar, and then, you know, all the way through with the fatigues in Penn State, and that was one of the worst screw jobs of all time until the Ohio State game. And I don't even like to think about that, but um, the Michael Irvin teams with Benny Blades and Brian Blades, and, you know, and, and then through into the early 90s, and I went to school there, and I just did my last two years there, but my first interview, and I went because of the football team and and because my stepbrothers told me what a great city is. I wanted warm weather. I wanted a big city with a lot of sports teams so I could do a lot of internships and start my career in, in radio and TV. And I wanted a great football team. Miami checked all the boxes. We didn't have a great basketball team. But with Leonard Hamilton as the coach, we always really strongly competed against the best teams in Miami at Old Miami Arena. So between that and covering the heat, I had a lot of memories there. And back in those, you know, those, those late 80s, early to mid 90s, that was really the golden age for me. And, and I guess it is for all of us, you know, the golden age is our age. And, you know, when we're in college, and I remember hitting that campus for the first time. And, you know, you're 10 minutes from the beach, and you got all this money everywhere and all these high end shops and celebrities all over Miami. And I was like, wow, I, I picked the right place, no doubt. And then I spent my entire twenties in Miami on South beach. So anytime anybody tries to have a conversation with me about where they spent their twenties unless it's New York city or LA, you know, and maybe Vegas, but not even like if you, if you were coming up on South beach, when South beach was coming up, when it was before they over-commercialized it before Will Smith, the Miami song and screwed it up for everyone. Those days, like 94 to 98, the golden age of South beach, man. And, and not, you know, for me, I missed the golden era of Miami football. I got there just as we started to slide. We did end up playing in the orange bowl against Nebraska and losing that game. And had we won, we might've had a chance at a national title, but I was there when Washington snapped the 58 game win streak in the orange bowl. I was there for a lot of games that I don't want to remember and just thinking, why couldn't I have just come a few years earlier? And it would have been so much better.
5: Oh yeah. It's funny that you talk about that because you just reminded me uh, of kind of when I, So when I was in high school, because I graduated high school in 95 before I went to Virginia tech, when I, when I started watching college football, it came time to pick a favorite team. And I didn't, even though I lived in Virginia, I didn't immediately gravitate towards Virginia tech until I attended. I basically looked around and saw who all my friends liked and all my friends liked Miami. So my first team was actually Florida state just to spit in the face of my friends. And, and so I remember the weekend before the big Miami, Florida state game, I went out like that Thursday just and, and made my mom take me to the mall and bought a Florida State hat just to wear it to school that next day for all my friends. And of course, Miami wins that game, and so they laughed at me. But I literally picked just because every, almost every single friend that I had was a huge Miami fan, and they were wearing. Remember, they had That's, those big bulky jackets back then, and all yeah. everywhere starter jackets. And so I literally those starter Miami were or Virginia man. Those they were. I mean,
2: were the best. Have they ever been? I mean, there's never been anything made that beats the, the starters in the <laughs> Apex ones.
5: That's so crazy. You could probably get good money for one of those now.
2: Oh, if I would have saved it, I had the Olympic Jordans, Greg, I had every pair, but uh, I'll tell you like real quick and I'll talk all night. So if I keep going too much on one topic, just stop me. But um, I good. picked my teams because of my mother. And I picked the opposite of all her favorite teams. So I've been made fun. I did a national radio show called The Sports Edge for two years with a guy named Dan the Man out of Detroit. And I would win every argument because he called himself Dan the Man. And anyone who calls himself Dan the Man, you know, they just got clowned on. He's a great dude. His name's Danny Leach. He does radio in Detroit still. But we were on 114 stations. We were on Sirius XM. We used to go around the country and do shows together. And also Mark James, who then was Mark benarzik who's now on Nessun. So I guess I'm the underachiever of the group here, but um, I was the host and executive producer of the show. And they used to bust my ass all the time, Greg, and they would just fuck with me so much because I am a Yankees,
5: Cowboys, mm-hmm.
2: and Lakers fan from Connecticut who grew up in the 70s. Wow. <laughs> so He used to be like, you're a Lakers, Cowboys, <laughs> Yankees fan from Connecticut. And I'd be like, you call yourself Dan the Man. You know, and that was what we're arguing about. <laughs> but so like, you know, I just, I, I was like, man, like, I picked those teams, though, and this is the God's honest truth, because my mom made me a sports fan, but my mom was the sports fan that you had to be against because she's obnoxious. And when she roots for and now she claims to be a Patriots fan because she lives in New England and she loves Tom now she's going to watch the Buccaneers. But we know she's a Redskins fan, a Red Sox fan, and a, a freaking Celtic. And I am probably the only, and I hate to this day the Larry Bird Celtics. I hate when I see that team on on classics or on old clips with McHale and Ainge and Bird and their hiked up shorts and Robert Parrish, who was smoking pounds of weed. We know back then, like Bill Walton, I hated that team. I didn't hate the Red Sox as much back then because they never won. And they, they hadn't broken the curse yet. And I hated the Celtics and I hated the Redskins because the Redskins were really good in the eighties. And I hated them because they were always beating the Cowboys, but it all stemmed from a deep rooted psychological issue with Myself and my mother. That is
5: hilarious. That was all, all what your mom did, and and of course, like you said, now she's she's a Patriots fan, and, and by default a Bucks fan. Which a lot of Patriots fans are Bucks fans now. It's it's funny, you know, it, it all is in your upbringing because I really started watching and following sports from '86 to '88, and I lived in New York, so you know '86 Mets and then the Giants, and so a lot of my fandom comes from from that era. Because now I'm a Mets and a Giants fan because. I was there like people were literally running in the streets celebrating when the Mets beat the Red Sox to win the 86 World Series. And, and honestly, over the years, it's caused me to actually become a little bit of a Red Sox fan because of what they went through. And then when they when they won the series many years later uh, and, and did so, you know, originally over the Yankees to get there, it, it was just such a huge, huge deal. Uh, you talked about Connecticut, and I want to use that to shift a little bit because I worked at the University of Connecticut and I lived there for a while and we used to that's when I got heavy into poker and we used to love to go over to Foxwoods and and oh. play some poker and do some other things and I found out through my research because I do some um contrary to popular belief I do do some research you dealt cards at Foxwoods at a, at a point
2: I did man I did and you know I mean I I love that I'm from Connecticut I have friends for life <laughs> Um, many of mm-hmm. whom are Mashantucket Pequot Indians, who I still know to this day. And you know, they they were poor, man. They they lived. Mm-hmm. Some of them didn't have running water at times as kids. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm in college, and people start going, Hey, they're, we're building a casino in Ledger. It's called Foxwoods. It's a Mashantucket Pequot land. And you remember, it was the first one, right? I mean, you had Vegas, you had Atlantic City, but Foxwoods was the first Native American casino. I believe in the world, if right. so I'm not mistaken, yeah, but it was definitely so. the first one in America. And it's huge now. I mean, it was, it was not big when I worked there. They had two buildings when I worked there. Now it's a city, and it's amazing. It just pokes out of the Connecticut woods where I grew up. And we used to take those back roads drinking 40s in the car on the way to an under-21 <laughs> nightclub called L.A. Beach Club in the Beach, Rhode Island. I don't know if you ever made it up there, but it was awesome, man. There were so many amazing stories back in the days. But once they started building Foxwoods, I was in college, right? Well, my mom was a mortgage broker, and she's a really good mortgage broker. She made a lot of money. She knew a lot of people. And I think it was it, – no, I, I don't think. I know. It was 1994, 1993, the end of 93 into 1994. I'm 21, just turning 22 years old. You know, had a pretty serious girlfriend, pretty tight with my family, a lot of friends, a lot of parties, a lot of great times. But I was still home, and this is right before I went to Miami. I hadn't made up my mind yet that I was going to Miami. I was applying to Arizona state, UCLA, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, all these schools. And I wasn't sure if I was going to stay and maybe go to UConn. So my mom comes to me and she goes, Hey, I have a client who's a pit boss at Foxwoods. She said she can get you into their casino school. If you want to be a blackjack dealer. I'm like, I would, I'm tailor made for this job. My personality, I got a table full of people. I'm dealing cards all night. Like I, this is literally a dream come true for me, you know? And so I, I, I show up at the class. And I try to like, you know, it. It there are techniques with not only, you know, like shuffling the cards, but you know, cutting your checks is really hard. And what what you're doing when you're cutting the checks is sliding your fingers to count off the chips for people. So you know, whether it's the the four green ones that make a hundred, the the five red ones that make twenty five, the five white ones that make five, whatever, and then you you move up the ranks and they're black and purple and all these colors. But you know, you have to know the computations in your head, and you and you just develop that dexterity. Well, I had no dexterity when I started. It's like when I try to text now, and and I can't spell a word <laughs> to this day. Every time I text my sister, Greg, her name's Lisa, I type L O S A and I send it because I call her a loser anyway. But I can't hit the I with my fat thumb. So it took me a while to figure out how to, you know, to uh, to cut the checks. We call it at um at casino school, but it was it was eight weeks of school. Um, with, a, right. with a British guy named Neil Glander, and he had the funniest accent. He had no hair on top of his head but long hair in the back like Hulk Hogan, but he was tiny and skinny. <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious, right? And he was British on top of it with his accent. So I learned blackjack, and I start working at Foxwoods in the, in the spring of 94. And at that point in time, I'm 22 years old, and I'm making like eight 900 bucks a week, always filling up my tip box all day long, wishing I could, I, I could um, keep my own tips, But the craziest thing about that was, and I have have some really good stories from my casino dealing days, but I have one real quick that I'm going to tell you. I'm I'm a newbie. I'm sitting at the table. I met a lifelong friend named Joel Blumberg, who was the play-by-play voice of Manhattan College basketball the year they beat Oklahoma in the NCAA tournament. I met him like two weeks later. He became a friend, a mentor, and hired me for my first job in broadcasting, which was engineering, setting up the equipment for all the visiting teams that came into New York to play the Mets, Yankees, Jets, Giants, Rangers, Islanders. I was all over New York for a couple of years engineering games and doing morning sports reports for him five years later. But I met him in 94 at Foxwoods as he was the voice of Manhattan. We just stayed friends while I was in school. So he's the one who told me at the table, go to Miami, go to Miami. That's where you need to be. And that's that's part of my story for going to Miami also that same night there's this hot blonde sitting right in front of me red dress perfect body young just gorgeous right and she's with this old guy so me being me I'm naive I'm from Connecticut you know and back then it's the 90s we weren't schooled we didn't have social media and so he's gone to the bathroom or wherever he went probably to get his damn you know whatever uh geritol injection or something and I can't say anything (laughs) because now I'm getting closer to that age but I'm like oh man it's really cool that you're hanging out with your dad like that and everyone starts laughing, and she's like, um, "He's not my dad." And I'm like, "Oh no, man!" You know. So that was actually the same night I met Joel JB, and, and you know I, I I sort of popped my cherry in that job, and I became, you know, I mean the college parties are one thing, but being in a casino and being around people, uh, hardcore gamblers, as like, I got, I, I dealt cards to a guy who played fifteen grand a spot and played all seven spots. They used to fly him in on a helicopter, or pick him up in a six hundred Mercedes. His name was Jesse. He was a tech guy. He went belly up in the bubble burst. But uh, he used to sit at my table, Greg, and he would play 15000 per spot, all seven spots, hundred and five grand per hand. So dealer gets a blackjack, he just lost four years of my college tuition in one shot. So you have to learn to not look at it as money. If you look at right. it as money, you'll want to commit suicide while you're dealing the cards and, and spill all your blood and guts right on the person who's losing all that money just because. So then I go to Miami. And I learned roulette. I went to a school there called Casino Career Academy. So then I'm working on the cruise ships that go out five miles and go back and forth all night doing blackjack and roulette, Mm -hmm. 10 to 12-foot waves. And you want to talk about, I used to do the 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. Drag queens, hookers, drug dealers. And then just like regular people who are leaving the bars and clubs. One of the best experiences of my entire life between Foxwoods, between the cruise ships in Miami, and even later on as a second job when I was starting out in broadcasting sometimes mm-hmm. at casinos and sometimes working private parties. The year the twin towers got knocked down. I worked a private party like five months before five, just on a one-off when I was back home visiting for a company that I used to work with. When I started my career in New York, 1999, I told you I was, I was covering all New York for Joel and, and for mm-hmm. engineering the games and doing more. Well, I lived in Connecticut and I was driving two hours each way every day to work. So I would also work these casino parties. I did a whole bunch of awesome casino parties all over Tribeca, chelsea you know the upper east side greenwich village upper west everywhere all the great neighborhoods in new york high-rises brownstones awesome private parties right well the year that the towers got knocked down i did a party on the 110th floor of the world trade center and all these things happened the boats going back and forth the foxwoods experiences the, the twin towers party all of them happened because my mom had a client who was a pit boss at foxwoods and she got me into the blackjack class and it was the, to this day, I love what I do, and I love being a broadcaster, play-by-play announcer, interviewer. I love it. I can't say that Dealing Cards beats it, but broadcasting doesn't beat Dealing Cards either. Dealing Cards, it would kill me now with my back, but Dealing Cards was the most fun I've ever had. My God, it was amazing.
5: That is awesome. So let me ask you this, because you talk about broadcasting, and of course, so much of what you do is interacting with people these days. What did you learn? from dealing cards in the casino lifestyle that you still use today in your day-to-day life?
2: Oh, the easiest thing. And I suck at poker. If I was better at poker, I wish I'd have been a poker dealer and I'd be better in business. Poker is business. Business is poker without a doubt. Um, but the biggest thing I learned is how to read people. I don't read people well enough at the poker table. Cause to me, that's a little, I, I don't, I don't do well in slow environments. Um, I, I like fast paced, but dealing blackjack, especially, I learned how to read people and read their emotions and read their feelings and read, you know, their moods. Um, I'm, a, mm-hmm. I'm an empathetic person anyway, so I pick up on those moods any, anyhow. But when I was dealing blackjack, I could look at people and see their mannerisms throughout the night. I could tell how they were feeling when they were getting excited. I could see what their moods were. I could, I could just be a part of that fun environment. So even now, if I'm interviewing a fighter or if I'm talking to someone, you know, I'm, I'm quick on my feet. Um, I'm quick with my words, being a blackjack dealer, you had to be conversational, keep the table going with seven people. Sometimes people are getting their ass kicked and they don't want to talk about it. And they don't want you to be like, Hey man, isn't it an awesome night? You have to read the table and read the people. Same thing. When you interview someone, I've interviewed people who people are going, Oh, he's the worst interview you'll ever do, man. It's good luck pulling anything out of him and I'll connect with them somehow, some way. And I can attribute it to the way that I had to connect with seven different people in seven different ways could be an old guy, a young girl, a couple. And I had to learn to connect with each person at the table. And you know why? Because your money's made on tips, it's like being a server. And I was a server in a steakhouse too, which helped me a lot also. So now to make that instant connection in an interview, and, and I never really thought about this until this interview. So thank you, Greg, for that. But dealing blackjack absolutely helped me so much in my career, interviewing fighters and athletes and, NBA stars and NFL stars because you have to learn to make a connection so fast or the interview dies.
5: Oh, yeah. It's it's funny the things that can really impact people long-term. For you, it was was dealing with blackjack. For me, one of the reasons why I can do interviews and I can host shows and – Come up with things on the fly is because before I did any of this, I did improv and I got trained in improv and did a little bit of stand up as well. And I use improv to this day during meetings at work, during everything. And it's just, it's crazy the things that that kind of follow us and and stick with us. And so if you're listening out there and you're like thinking about maybe doing something and it's really just more for fun or something that you're interested in, do it because you never know. How it's gonna affect you long term, you talked a lot about covering sports and 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 you did a lot you know in the world of sports before making that transition to m m a What caused that transition when you kind of moved over from shifting from covering sports in general to really digging your heels into the world of mixed martial arts?
2: All those losses to stupid Virginia Tech no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> um, no. It was, um, so, okay. So I, I started in Miami and I, I interned everywhere. I, I was very lucky. I did a two hour night sports radio show in Miami. I never had to go to a small market. I went from Miami to New York, to, to Phoenix, to Miami, to Phoenix. That's been my career path. And I've been sorry about the dog barking in the background. I don't know. Um, uh, one of my oh, kids friends is at the door oh, or something. Yeah. We live in suburban Pukeville, America, but, um, literally, um, so I, I'm, I'm, Making my way through the professional world of sports, I was very lucky in Miami. Dan Marino was still there, had the Hurricanes there. We had Pat Riley come to the Heat, Jimmy Johnson come to the Dolphins and replaced Don Shula. All those things happened. The Panthers went on their Stanley Cup run, the Year of the Rat, all as I'm starting out my career, which really helped me because I got some big-time sports moments and memories to work with from a young age. And then I moved to New York. And I'm doing the engineering job and I'm doing morning sports and I'm covering the Yankees and Mets and I'm I'm getting sound bites. And so there I am with those incredible late nineties Yankees teams and the Mets with Mike Piazza and Bobby Valentine's managing. He's a Connecticut boy like me. And I got really lucky along that path and, You know, I I really enjoyed it. Then I moved to Arizona and the Diamondbacks win the World Series. I moved back to Florida. The Marlins win the World Series. And, you know, for years I'm in Florida again, and there's Shaq and Dwayne Wade winning a title. So, And then I did my national show. So all those things happen, right? And then I I end up moving back to Arizona in 2008, and the bubbles burst, man. There's nothing going on. Nobody's hiring. Um, Nobody's making any money. I'm filling in for a couple guys I know who happen to buy time and have their own show in Phoenix. And I'm trying to start over. I got a, my third kid on the way. And, um, you know, my marriage is strained. We had lost all our money in real estate. We were balling in Florida. My career was on fire. Um, I was doing so many amazing things. I'm, I'm one of very few people to interview Michael, Kobe, and LeBron. Um, like, you know, Don Shula, Pat Right. I have a list of interviews a mile long. And I, and I had a great career covering sports. I covered every major sporting event except the Super Bowl. Which I never covered I mean, I'm sorry, not the Super Bowl, the Masters, the Kentucky Derby and the Daytona 500, the Super Bowl I covered, the World Series I covered, the NCA Final Four, nice. the, the championship for every major sporting event. Um, and I literally sat there and I'm going, "What the hell do I do? All I know how to do. And the casinos, of course, were losing their ass so I can't fall back and be a dealer. So I decided to get a job with the AIA, which was the Arizona Interscholastic Association. Well, and I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to fast forward a little bit, but I was their primary voice for football, basketball, baseball, um, all the sports, high school sports. And we had the championships on Fox Sports Arizona. We had some good things. I ended up going to Bishop Gorman and doing a bunch of games up there, which is how I met Lorenzo and Frank Fertitta, which has, of course, helped me in my UFC career. But, um, you know, just you call it dumb luck, but you have to be there and you have to pursue things. So when things weren't going my way, I got a job with the Arizona Interscholastic Association in my late 30s. I took a big step back and started broadcasting high school sports, but I needed a job. I needed the money. It was play-by-play, one of my favorite things to do. So I took it. And I made like 35 grand a year. But in 2009 and 2010, I was lucky to be making that, right? And so we were rebuilding. Everything right. was going on. And, and through that job, they said, do you know how to do wrestling? And I said, sure, I I can do that. I wrestled a little bit growing up, although wrestling was the same as basketball season where I grew up, so I always played hoops. Bad move for a 5'10", white guy. Probably should have wrestled. Definitely should have wrestled. But literally, I end up broadcasting the wrestling championships. And, you know, guys like Kelvin Gastelum, was one of the wrestlers who won and he's now one of the top middleweights in the world i called his high school championship match for example and you know little did i know so my partner was a guy named gerald taylor who was an all-american at arizona state back in the day best friends with coach sean charles who was coaching anthony robles at arizona state hey you should come to our meeting on tuesday jim the guys would love you it's a fundraiser for asu wrestling i walk in the room greg I see Aaron Simpson and CB Dalloway (laughs) and Ryan Bader. And I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, whoa, what are these guys doing here, you know? And they were there giving back and raising money for the school. I met Aaron, met Bader. We hit it off. And the conversations that came as a result of that, fast forward a little bit, we started doing some streaming work together out of their gym, Power MMA and Fitness. I started hosting events for them. Started doing a lot of interviews with, with, and Bader was really on the rise at this point. This was right before he lost Tito, unfortunately, uh, and Jones. Uh, way back in Bader's career. Now look at him. He's a, he's a two-division champ in Bellator. But I'm in that room, nice. and there's legendary Arizona State wrestlers. And through that program, I met Don Fry and Dan Henderson and Dan Severn, um, John Moraga, Frankie Signs, CB, Bader, Anthony Robles. Kane Velasquez beats Brock Lesnar to win the UFC title. A week after that was our tournament, a golf tournament, to raise money. Curly Culp was there, for crying out loud. To raise money for the golf tournament – Cain Velasquez, my job was to get him in the parking lot. He shows up with the belt, no entourage. No, and I'm a guy who's come from the other sports. And I'm like, Where, where's your people at? Where's your, like, your manager, your entourage? Like, dude, I'm a fighter. We don't have anyone, man. I'm a wrestler. He's like, why do I have to bring this stupid belt in? I'm like, everyone wants to see the belt as much as they want to see you. And it's a fundraiser. And he was so humble. And, and did all those guys, you know, and talking to Bader. So as a result of all that, we started the first MMA show in the world on a major sports station. And it was the Power MMA show on KTAR Mm -hmm. in Arizona, and that was in 2012. And every week it was me and Ryan Bader and Aaron Simpson just sitting there talking shit to one another. Mostly them talking shit to me and making fun of
5: me and i listen to that it's it's, i was you know i've been in arizona since 2006 for the second time the first time i was out here was 2002 2003 before we moved to connecticut and and i used to listen to that show so it's funny because i went to the first time i moved out to arizona it was to go to graduate school and i studied higher and post-secondary education and i actually went to graduate school with aaron simpson um he was in our class he was at the time he was coaching and and, he's a smart guy yeah big time But what's hilarious is so we had a class and and basically the class, it was required in Arizona. You had to learn about the community college system. And our professor, Dr. De Los Santos, he had we had to submit quiz questions every single week. We had to submit 10 quiz questions and he would pick from our quiz questions that we emailed to him and he would put them on on a a quiz. And and if you use your question, he would say whose question it was. And Aaron Simpson always submitted 10 true, false questions. And the answer was always true. And, and so if you saw an Aaron Simpson question, you knew it was true. And, and we would send them <laughs> to a listserv, like and the, and the person set it up so we could see everybody's questions ahead of time. And Aaron Simpsons were always true, false questions. And for the very last test, he submitted 10 true, false questions. And number 10 was false. And the instructor put that question on the test because it was the only 16 weeks or every week semester was only time he submitted a question that wasn't true was number 10 of the very last week. He submitted false, and that one made the test because he was like, he was like, I don't care if it was a poorly worded question. I don't care what it was. And Aaron submitted a question that was false. I had to use it. And and a lot of people put true because they just knew that whenever Aaron Simpson submitted a question, it was true, but the answer was actually false. And, oh, you know, and obviously guy. his, his – yeah, it was just – and then, of course, you know, a few years later, I'm sitting there watching UFC at a bar with some friends of mine, and there he is fighting in the UFC so it was just he was a to good fighter
2: Chael Sonnen at one point thought Aaron would be the guy to beat Anderson Silva and he had some really big fights and some great wins in his career but what a smart he's such a funny guy Aaron Simpson I love him um the show ended and we all went our separate ways and you know it was unfortunate but Bader started getting really big and his wife was having kids mm-hmm. Daisy and you know Aaron and and there were some business things going on back then with a the guy and I don't want to say any names obviously but a guy really kind of did us wrong financially and screwed us all up. And, and man, he lost his company. And I don't know. He was really doing some bad things. But um, it, it, this was 2014 when the show ended. But to this day, that might be the most fun I've ever had with a radio show because those guys, I mean, it was a locker room, but it was a wrestling locker room. And I, I like I told you, I had played right. basketball. I had to choose between the two. And, I mean, Bader would walk up behind me and slap me in the neck as hard as he could and almost knock me out. He'd slap me in a rear naked choke and tell me it was 5% pressure, and I'd feel like my vocal cord was going to fly out of my ears, you know. And uh, (laughs) and Aaron would just, yeah, shut up, Jim. No one cares. He was a ball buster, but he was so funny. We took photos for the show, and uh, Melissa Lynch was taking the photos for us. At the time, she ran all of Arizona for NASA Energy Drink. She then became my girlfriend of almost seven years. We're not together anymore, but we started companies together. She's taking the pictures, and she's a, guy, she's a guy's girl. She's taking the pictures, and, and she's just talking shit with all of us, and they're all laughing hysterically, and she's trying to keep a straight face, and I'm just taking the phone. I'm like, what the fuck are they laughing at? Aaron had his balls out, and I, I'm the only one who didn't know. I love him smiling, taking <laughs> pictures With Aaron Simpson's balls hanging out. That's the kind of stuff that I remember. And, you know, it it sounds crude. I mean, it is crude, but it's wrestling locker room humor. And I was the only one who was never in on the joke. And it became like the running thing. It it just, man, it was one of the best times of my life with those guys. And Brian Bader, I want to say this about him. I don't think I've ever met. uh, There's a few like Mike Lowell. Um, like, uh, like, uh, who else? So, oh, Bashan Leonard, for example, or like, uh, like, uh, like a Jason Taylor, a Derek Rogers. Um, uh, Pat Tillman was unique in his own way, but I'm talking about just the nicest guys I've known. Um, there have been some really Luis Gonzalez. There's been just the whole Diamondbacks 2001 team. Just some great people I've gotten to know over the years. But Ryan Bader is one of the nicest. Top three nicest people I've ever met in sports. And, you know, you don't want to piss him off, obviously, but he's a great dude. And for him to be a double champ now and for him to be making the money he's making and doing the things he's doing. And now you're seeing John Jones complaining and saying he's going to retire. And Bader's just laughing on the way to the bank knowing how much money he's making because Bellator lets you keep your sponsor money. And Bader lost so yep. much money when the Reebok deal happened in the UFC. He was one of the hardest hit guys because he's the guy who all the sponsors. And he's a great dude. So when you take Ryan Bader out on a sponsor event and you have all your sponsors there and it's one of those nights, that dude will close a million dollars in one night because he's genuinely one of the greatest people you've ever met. And he makes everyone have a great time. But at the same time, like you can't let your guard down around him because you will become – a victim of one of his crazy practical jokes. I mean, his poor brother-in-law, if you see Bader's Instagram, the shit he does to him, he put a cricket in his mouth while he was sleeping. You never knew what that guy was going to do. So for him to have all the success that he's having and making all the money and and raising the beautiful family that he's raising, um, I mean, it just is amazing to see what Ryan Bader's doing. And and I could not be happier because, like I said, just salt of the earth, greatest dude you'd ever meet. That
5: is outstanding, and, and hopefully he hears you say that, and even if he doesn't, I'm, I'm sure he knows. So that is, that is good to hear, and, and so, many to- so often we don't know the person behind the figure that we see publicly, and so that's really good to, to hear that and share that. I want to fast forward to 2017 because you kind of hit a point in, in life that I think people can learn a lot from um in 2017 you were in a situation where your your show um and, and the only reason i know is because you kind of detailed all this on on social media got taken off the air i know i believe there was a new program director at uh at, at 910 where it was and and they kind of changed some things up on the last second which you know was never fun never fair but you were in a position where you wanted to go cover ufc and the ufc was in anaheim and i don't want to give away too much of the story because i want you to tell it but basically you ended up busting yourself out there Staying in what what sounds like a hostel with like six other people, but made it work and made it happen. And and I just think it's a story that people need to hear because we live in this age where everybody wants everything to be easy. Take us back to what was going on back then and the trip that you ended up making.
2: Yeah, and I've done this a few times and I should have documented them and sent them to Dana White is what I should have done. (laughs) And I wish I had and I'm pissed at myself that I didn't. But um, building off the momentum of the Power MMA show and covering the UFC since 2012 and you know, being there from and focusing on the radio. You know, I made some mistakes on the radio side. We were on KTAR. The Power MMA show went away. Those guys um Bader couldn't do it anymore, really, honestly. And then Aaron kinda didn't want to do it. He was going in another direction. Um he was coaching the team at power, then eventually, you know, he's a realtor now and doing well. Yeah. His kids were getting older and his, his wife, Kendra, who's awesome, they just decided, Hey, enough with this fighting shit, let's let's switch let's switch gears here. So and you can't blame him because, you know it takes two. And she's a very, an incredible woman and a great wife and Aaron's an awesome dude. So they were thinking they they were doing some different things and he was focusing more on coaching and owning the gym. And then, like I said, eventually got in real estate. So I decided to take the show myself to Fox Sports 910. The UFC had just done the Fox deal and I'm over there and and it's, you know, Goldie and I did the show every week. Mike Goldberg, he he still came on every week and I was getting big name guests from the UFC all the time and everything's great. Well, my guy, Neil Larimore, who I love to death, shout out to Neil. And, and I last stopped, I believe he was in Providence and uh, lost his job there. And now I think he's back in Kansas City. I don't know. He's a radio lifer, so he's moving place to place. But he was a great program director. And not just because he really liked me. You know, he would always have me fill in on the afternoon drive show. And then I would go to Vegas. He'd always have me do those Fridays with Jody Ayler or without Jody. Um, Bo Brock, Mike Bauer, some of my best friends were there. And, um, yeah. So Neil was giving me a really good rate on my show and iHeart being the direct descendant of Clear Channel it's in their genes to stick it right where the sun doesn't shine on people whenever they can. So and that's been the radio business. So, long story short, they jack my rate up, i can't afford it, i'm behind, they pull me off the air. And I'm like you got to be shitting me. Are you like literally you got to be shitting me right now? Like I'm I'm like one of the top shows in the country covering the UFC. I'm at every event. I'm I'm building momentum. I'm getting sponsors. My company at the time, Jam 7 Multimedia that I had with Melissa, uh, that we don't have anymore either, um, we were doing really well. But at the same time, Greg, I was also drinking like a fish, and we were partying like idiots all the time. So we were spending our money faster than we brought it in. I lost the show. I'm running out of money. And the UFC event's coming up. It's in Anaheim. And I had a choice to make and it was John Jones coming back. And you remember Jones had been out for a long time. The DC fight was supposed to happen at UFC 200 a year earlier. And it was supposed to be in Vegas. And it ended up that it wasn't and the main event ended up being Amanda Nunes choking out Misha Tate and look what Amanda's done. We didn't know at the time, but look what she's done. So UFC 200, you know, that shit, the bad Jones is out. Everyone wants to see him fight DC. DC starts beating everyone. Can't wait until we see DC fight Jones. Well, that card ended up being stacked. Ortega was on the card on the undercard. And you know, that, that whole night was unbelievable in Anaheim, that whole trip. Well, I didn't have the money to go out to California in the summertime and pay for expensive hotels and the flights. And I'm looking at the flights and I'm going, Oh my God. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm taking a Greyhound. And Melissa looked at me and goes, you're stupid. And I'm like, I'm taking a goddamn Greyhound and I'm going out there. So I I said, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to bite the bullet. I made some videos, took some pictures and, uh, and 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 documented it a little bit. But the point was, like, I wasn't going to let it stop me. I didn't let, you know, when I, when I first got to college and, and they had a whole bunch of us in the room and they said, you guys want to be broadcast journalism majors, huh? And there's 100 of us more in the room. And they said, raise your hand if you're going to make it in this business. And they said, look around the room. And everybody's got their hands up. He goes, all right, everybody put their hands down. Only three of you are going to make it in this field. Put your hand up. If you believe you're one of them. I was the first one with my hand up. I just never pay attention to that shit. I never pay attention to people telling me I can't do stuff. I never pay attention to circumstances around me that would derail most people. I can't get a hotel. I'm not going. I got to share an Airbnb with six people, you know, I, and I, and I, you have to kill your ego. You have to squash that shit. You do. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not getting on a Greyhound. Look at those people. Well, those people, really? You're going to judge people and say you're better than people because they don't have money and they have to take the bus and you're fortunate and you get to take a plane? I saw a guy on a corner the other day, Greg, with a sign, just lost my job. We'll take every, anything. I didn't have any money on me. I gave him a mask and a pair of gloves and squirted some Purell in his hands. And he was like, thank you so much, man. I, you know, But you can always do something and you can always realize that it can be you on that corner at any time. And I've had people help me in my life. It can be you on that greyhound. It can be you sharing a, a place with six people. So who the hell are we to say, well, I can't get to Ritz-Carlton. I'm not going. I'm flying first class or I'm not going. Like, you know, no. So I, I bite the bullet and, and I end up meeting some great people on that bus and having a blast, not for nothing, on the way over. So And I've ended up doing it again since then, two more times. But I'm on the way out there and I'm just thinking the whole way you're there for a reason. You're there for a reason. You're there for a reason. My ROI was always media day. I get there. I do the interviews. I crush them. And then, you know, this time I stayed for the fights. I spent the whole day on Sunday in um, Huntington beach and it was the surfing championship weekend. So it was incredible. Didn't have much of anything to my name, had like 30 bucks left, spent it on beer. (laughs) That was me back then before I quit drinking in 2018, but I took the bus back. And I was the happiest guy in the world on that bus. And it was overnight. I got back in Arizona at 6 in the morning. Nobody was there to pick me up. I'm waiting outside. I actually, and I've never told anybody this before. Before I got on that bus, it left at 6 a.m. I only had enough money yeah. to get that room with the shared room for one night, Greg. And this, I never have I revealed this to anyone. I don't believe I even put it in a Facebook Live video. And if I have, correct me, because you watched it. I spent the night at the bus terminal. In Anaheim, Cal. Thank God it was Anaheim, not L.A. I'm gonna say that because <laughs> the L.A. bus station is a shithole, and I mean a shithole. But Anaheim's not that bad. But they don't let you in, and there's a bunch of benches around the building. My bus sours, so I had to sleep outside. It was cold. It's cold in Anaheim on an August night, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, "Wow, man!" I'm uh, or was it a July night? I can't remember. But I'm sitting there and I'm going, "This it doesn't get much worse than this." So I lay down to start to sleep on the bench. And the security guard comes and he goes, you can't lay down on the bench. They don't want homeless people. I'm not a homeless person. I'm waiting for the fucking bus. I'm trying to take (laughs) a nap. He's like, you can't can't fall asleep here. And I slept on a a bench sitting up against the bench for about an hour the whole night. And I just sat there with a smile on my face because of what I had just done. It isn't the destination. It isn't the way in which you do it. You know, I I love hip-hop, but I also grew up on heavy metal. Steven Tyler. Life's a journey, not a destination. If you can't learn to enjoy the journey, and I mean even the shitty parts of the journey, because we learn so much from them, Greg. We learn so much from the shitty parts of our journey because we make them shitty and we don't do them. A lot of people don't. Or we embrace them, we lean into them, and they become great experiences that define us. And this experience that I just finished telling you about is one of the defining moments in my MMA career because I knew at that moment nothing would ever beat me. No competitor will ever outlast me. No one will outwork me. Nobody will ever have more passion and no one will endure more shit to get there and do the job than I will. Does that make me better than people? Does that mean they don't have bigger followings? No. It just means that no one will beat me in those areas. And it also means that I can teach my kids. I have three of them. No matter what happens in your life, my son's a senior right now. He missed senior prom. He missed graduation. He missed all the say goodbye shit. Um, His team won academic decathlon state championship. He didn't get to go to Alaska and I get to teach mm-hmm. him, Hey, life is going to shit on you, man. You're going to have times when it isn't fair, when you want to just not get out of bed, when you want to crawl into a hole and when you don't want to do anything. But those moments, it's also what you do at your highest moments, but it's what you do at those moments that will define you. And, and they will define your character and what people think and say about you as it relates to, whether or not they're going to hire you or pay you is going to be based on the character that you build in times like these.
5: I And I love that story. And I hadn't heard the part about sleeping at the bus terminal. So that is just so awesome to hear and see. And, and, and hopefully people can learn from that. That's why I do these. That's why I do these interviews because anybody can sit here. Not anybody can sit here and analyze MMA, especially not like you, but it's these life experiences that make us who we are. And that's just something that is just so amazing. To hear, and I really hope that someone, I know someone's listening to this, and it's this the kind of show that can, you know, people can stumble upon two years from now and, and hear a story like that and realize what they can pull from it. And that is just an amazing experience to hear that you had. Now, I want to fast forward, even though there's a story in the middle that I'm going to talk about, I want to fast forward to recently, because you got to attend UFC 250, and... Only one of ten media members selected to do that, and that's a very different story. How'd that come about? And then tell everybody what you had to go through because this is a very different experience. Yeah, you got to live it up at the Bellagio, but there's quarantine involved. There's a lot that happened at UFC 250. So while it, it's it's a completely opposite story, it really is just a tale of two, you know, two, two sides of the same coin. So what was that experience like at UFC 250?
2: All right, so I have to set this up if you don't mind. I'm going to give you a little backstory. Um, and you, and you talked about the bus trip we just did, um, to Anaheim and, you know, I got on a station that I shouldn't have gotten on for a while and pissed away a lot of money. I don't want to say it cause it's disrespectful what station it was, you know, if you followed me. Um, and it was a bad move on my part, um, career wise. And then I readjusted again and I redid my business model to travel around and do shows on ESPN stations in the cities where the UFC was putting on fights with the ultimate goal of doing shows on ESPN stations all around the country at once. And I started having good success with it. Um, We did it in Vegas, January 17th with Kelvin Gastelum. um, And it was uh, actually January 18th. The 17th was my birthday. Kelvin came out and did that one. We did it in February in Albuquerque with the Karate Hottie Michelle Waterson and did it again in Vegas in March. And um, just, you know, proved the concept. Everything's going great. I'm up there for the Israel Adesanya fight against Yoel Romero. The coronavirus is hitting. People are starting to take notice of it. Things are just whatever. And so all of a sudden, you know, I'm in Vegas till that Tuesday. Well, they shut down Vegas on that Thursday. I was there until two days right. before they shut it down. That weekend, a lot of people got coronavirus in Las Vegas. I feel like I had, but we all do. because we're oh, I think I might have gotten it because I was there. But you don't really know. Um, but I did get tested recently, and I'll get to that in a minute. So I readjusted my business model. Everything's going great. I get home from that trip, and my girlfriend tells me that she doesn't want to be together anymore. She wants to be single. She doesn't believe in me like she used to. She's tired of the circuitous route and, and all this stuff that's going on with my career. She, she doesn't want that anymore. And I heard that before from my ex-wife and I'm like, well, my career's undefeated. You know, my, my dad tried to stop my career. My ex-wife's tried to stop my career. My friends, people have tried to tell me my career is undefeated and you won't beat it. No one will beat it. So she breaks up with me after seven years, heartbroken. And then at the same time, I can't travel. My business model is kaput because the money's starting to go away and I can't do the ESPN shows. So I find myself almost back like I was when I got the high school job going, what the hell do I do, right? So thankfully, I got a job at Neuroforce One. Kareem and Jesse and those guys, they had been with me from day one. They did their launch at my my show outside the arena in Glendale for the UFC here with Henry Cejudo and Mike Goldberg. And everyone who goes there becomes part of the family. So they hire me. Jesse Nunes with the Elite Amateur Fight League, who's used me for years as a play-by-play voice, also hires me as his director of, uh, of creative content. So now I have two jobs after not having a job for like 20 years, you know, and just having my own company. So then I don't think I'm going to be able to cover a UFC fight for a long time. So now I have no girlfriend. I'm working two jobs. And if you'd have told me this a year ago, I'd have told you I'd give you everything I'm going to make for the rest of my life. If you would have told me this would be my life now, I would have bet every dime I'll ever make that you would be full of shit. Well, guess what? Here's my life. You never know, right? The, the COVID-19 thing hits. Out of the blue, out of the blue Greg and it's three days before the event on a Wednesday I get an email from Chelsea Sullivan who I love at the UFC Dave Lockett all them Chris Costello Chelsea's you're approved for UFC 250 and I'm like is this a fucking joke like I I didn't get approved for Jacksonville I probably couldn't have gone anyway money-wise and um you know I'm thinking man everyone's there the schmo's there who I love I've become buddies with him and I've been friends with Helen Yee a long time and you know just so many people I know and love and I'm always rooting for them um And you're not part of it, and it pulls at you. And you're like, I've been going for years, but I'm not one of the bigger ones. And you know what? You got like, I talked to Henry Cejudo about it, and he said, you know what, Jim, get on the fucking podium. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I'm a gold medalist, man. He goes, there's three people on that podium. There's ten, and if you ain't one of the ten, and I was like, all right. So I started being a little more aggressive. Great advice from Henry, who's become like a brother to me. Um, Get on the podium, Jim. Simple. Get on the podium. All right, I'm on the podium. I'm gonna work to get on the podium, and I didn't think it would happen anytime soon. But for all the events I've been to and all the credentials I've gotten and all the big interviews, when there's 50 or 100, and now there's 150, but back when I started going, there'd be 40 media members there. To be one of 10 is something that was so special to me. And I don't have a lot of money right now. I readjusted my whole life, and I'm always struggling financially because I never think of the business side the way that I do the creative side. And we can all relate to that if you're a creative person. If you're a business person, you're going, what the hell is he talking about? Well, you try to host a show. It's hard doing both to have both sides of the brain, you're Jay-Z. You know, like there's the example, Jay-Z. And you could say Diddy or whatever, but, or Dr. Dre, but when, and and that's true, but Jimmy Iovine did all Dre's business deals. Diddy can't rap for shit. Sorry, Diddy. But when you look at Jay-Z to be brilliant as a performer and equally brilliant as a business person, the two just don't go hand in hand. And he's one of the rare few. And that's why I use him as an example. And there are some in the sports world too, who have done amazing with all that, but you know, it's hard to do. So they, they give me the call and I say, I don't care what I have to do. I'm readjusting all my plans. I'm getting up there. Well, I'm an M life member. Vegas is just reopening. I literally got there a day after they reopened after leaving two days before they shut down. I'm one of the only people who was there both weekends. Uh, The weekend before they shut it down and the weekend after they open it up. Well, I look at my M-Life points and I look at the offers they're giving me. There's only four places open. MGM Grand, New York, New York, MGM Signature, and the Bellagio where I've never stayed. I'm always at MGM and now Park MGM when I'm at those places. Or the OYO because I have a deal with them. They used to be Hooters. Many times I stay there because it's a trade deal and I'm saving money, right? Well, get this. The cheapest one's the Bellagio. So I get the Bellagio for like 70 bucks a night. And I feel like one of Ocean's 11. I think I'm cool now, right? Because I'm staying at the Bellagio. And, you know, that's where they shot that movie. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I this. So And I'm just, I'm at the Bellagio. You know, now I'm all bougie and whatnot. So I go to, and I'm thinking, I'm going, oh, shit, you know what? There's no hotels near the Apex that are open. And the one that is, is the one the UFC commandeered. So one for the staff and the fighters and one for the tests and the media. And I can't get a room over there. So I get a room at the Bellagio. I isolate myself. And I got a COVID test in the morning. The UFC, they make you sign these waivers. You're first born. I'm waiting for them to come in with the hood and the machetes and the video camera like Al-Qaeda. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm thinking it's going to be kidnapped, thrown in the back of a truck and taken for this like COVID top secret test. It was nothing like that, man. I, they just said show up at this Holiday Inn Express in uh, Spring Valley. And you walk in there and you, you get checked in by the media member. You go immediately to your right. There's that room where they serve the Continental Breakfast. And that became the testing room, right? I swear to God, I'm not making this up. The room where they have the con- continental breakfast, there's all the people sitting around waiting to be tested, then through the double doors, where the dining room area is, is where all the people were in there. And so there's like, three people in hazmat suits, six or seven people total, come on in for your COVID test. And I'm like, oh, shit, because I'd heard about these studies, shove it all the way down your nasal cavity. And, you know, I, I had diverticulitis surgery in the in the mid-2000s, and I had that damn tube down my throat and up my nose for like a week, I'd never want that again. So the thought of having a Q-tip going in down, I didn't even want that. But then I started seeing Dana's test, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. They're sticking it in his throat, but that's Dana. He probably has like special treatment because he's got $700 million more million than I do. And no, I walk in, quick swab down the throat, painless, easy. If you guys didn't see the video, it's on my Instagram. It's on my mm-hmm. Facebook, Jim Grieshaber, G-R-I-E-S-H-A-B-E-R. Um, cage, side seat, MMA, and literally I'm done. So then they sequester you in a room and I'm there all day. And I said, I'm going to be in this room all day. I'm just going to create content because that's my weakness sometimes is I, I won't take out my phone and just videos and pictures all day long. So I had a mask on my face that my daughter had given me for my old ass skin a collagen mask made of seaweed or whatever. And I had like teeth whitening trays and I had like all these things to pass the time and I'm just filming myself and taking pictures. So all day long, I'm just putting up this content, putting up this kind, did a couple of Zooms that ended up going out and predicting the fights. So I set up my camera and I did some previews and some stand-ups. The interviews weren't there that week. The media day wasn't there that week. I didn't get to go in the room where the cage was because I had to choose either your cage side or you're in the media tent, which can't go back and forth because of COVID. You have to social distance. You have to wear your mask all night. Literally, the meals are pre-packed now. It's a completely different experience, but I was in the, in the media room the whole night which is where the fighters came in. So it doesn't do me any good to sit by the cage if I'm not getting sound from the fight. So I end up going back and forth with Dana White and putting that out. I didn't get the interviews that I wanted to get and didn't think I would because they sequester the fighters. But to be one of 10 and to live that experience, everyone's walking on eggshells, everyone's timid. And I asked Dana White at the press conference, if you haven't seen that, man, check it out. I'm like, how does it feel to lead from the front? You know, it's, It feels great to, to set the you know, to raise the bar for everyone and, and be the one out in front. But Dave Lockett, the UFC's PR guy, who's a buddy of mine, um, just we were talking that night, like, you guys are leading from the front. The UFC, the whole Vegas strong thing. Um, Black Lives Matter, the UFC was one of the first to address that. Um, they're, they're always leading from the front. As much shit as people give Dana White, I love Dana White because he's, his first of all, He's going to lead from the front, and he's not going to be afraid of anyone because if you don't like it, fuck you, and those are his words, not mine. And he says them every press conference, so it's not like I'm, you know, giving you a newsflash here, but he's leading from the front, and it's it's lonely leading from the front. It takes balls of steel from the front. The NBA didn't do it. Baseball didn't do it. These commissioners are Goodell with what he did with, with Colin Kaepernick, screwed the pooch a million times. He could have diffused a lot of this. The NFL could have raised hundreds of millions three fucking years ago and eliminated a lot of the shit that's going on in this country right now. And don't think the players don't know that wait until you see an NFL game this year and see how many people everyone's kneeling. The coaches and the whole crowd, kneel. Goodell could have stopped that whole shit. He doesn't lead like Dana White leads. Now I'm not comparing the two because you've got all those teams and all those players and all those organizations and all that TV. It's different when you're Dana White and the fighters are contractors. It's different. But if Dana White had been the NFL commissioner, I believe at that time, there would have been more decisive action. So, for him to lead the way he did in that press conference, I'm asking him about it. And so then he's like, Yeah, he's like, Man, he's like, he's like, he goes, You won't believe the shit I'm going through and the calls I'm getting and the people who are coming down on me and all that. And I go, Are you still waking up with the same piss and vinegar every morning? And he goes, Oh, fuck yeah. And so it just ended up being an awesome exchange between the two of us, albeit from a crowded room of media people, only 10 of us. But the best thing about that was they gave us each our own microphone. And once you give me a microphone, there's no way in hell you're stopping me. Uh, I told the guy at the Conor McGregor Cowboy Cerrone press conference, and I love him, Brian, you'll see. I'm like, dude, you got two choices. I said, he goes, what are they? I said, either way, I end up with the mic. I goes, what happens to you? That's your choice. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, you can walk up and you can give me the mic, or you can get tackled and I take it, one or the other. <laughs> and I was half serious, but I, you know, like, he kind of looked at me and I'm like, dude, this is, you're not keeping me off this press conference. And, I got two questions in or three questions in at that one. And, you know, it's it just it always ends up being a, you, you have to fight for what you want. Sometimes you got to take a bus. Sometimes you got to isolate yourself and be quarantined and get a COVID shot and spend most of your money going up there. you got to stay with friends. you gotta, You got to do what you got to do to get yourself in that position. But once you go through all that shit to be in that position, that's the hard part. What am I going to do with a microphone in front of Dana White that's going to be worse than sitting on a Greyhound for six hours or sleeping on a bus bench? What am I going to do with a microphone in front of Conor McGregor that's worse than, you know, being sequestered in a hotel room all day? And, you know, I mean, it's, it's literally, what, what am I going to do that's worse than leaving my kids on Father's Day to go cover an event? What am I going to do that's worse than missing Little League games and recitals and performances? You, you, I'm there for a fucking reason, Greg, right? So if I don't maximize that, and I don't get myself out there and put myself in the front of everything and make a name for myself while I'm there. Then what am I doing? Why am I going? So it's one thing to be invited and one thing to go. But I asked every fighter two questions, and all these media people are sitting there and they're not asking anything. And I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like I'm not, I'm not, you know. I'm, I'm to each their own. But I'm like, you know, Jose Youngs, who worked for us, and intern for us on the Power MMA show. He and I are the only <laughs> ones asking every fighter. a couple, And Jose, people go, oh, you gave Jose Youngs his start. He's in MMA fighting now, and he's a star. And and I'm like, no, Jose Youngs gave Jose Youngs his start. We were just the lucky ones he found and asked us to intern for. And that's a true story. We were so lucky to have him, and he's killing it right now. But I'm looking at all these media members, and I'm like, you know, they're getting paid by these companies, or they're on their own. And I'm like, how can you not maximize? How can you not squeeze every drop of juice out of that? Because if I don't do that, I can't live with myself.
5: Yeah, no, I, and you're making the most of it, like you said. You got that opportunity just days beforehand, and and had to head up there, and and you did it. And I mean, I, I could only imagine how you'd feel right now if you didn't make that trip and you didn't make it happen. You didn't adjust and and readjust and, and readjust again. Which man, that's the story of everything you talked about. You're like Captain Readjust, and and that's what you've done so often in your life, and and continue to do. And that's what we all need to do. And, y'all hit forks in the road and and moments where we have to readjust. And it's just, I mean, if anybody's in a rough spot, they need to listen to this stuff and hear what you've done and how you've always made the most of it and always been that positive force. And, and and it's always, you know, we all have our moments where we're not feeling positive, but we got to pick ourselves up the floor and off the ground and and, and make it happen. There's a story you shared probably in between these two things.
2: Can I finish one thing? Oh yeah. I don't, I'm sorry. But I just have to finish that story because for anybody out there who's dealing with this stuff and thinking, wow, this guy always ends up on top, that's not true. This past Saturday, this coming week, and the week after, I won't be there. And I won't be there because I'm self-funded and I don't have enough money to go. So I got the spot and I would have it for the next three weeks, except I can't do it. But I did go to one and I wanted to stay in the system because I didn't want them to say, well, he didn't come during COVID, like he's out. I don't think that would have happened but i i there's also that that flip side of me not being there for the next two or three um but i will be at steep a in dc in august so there's there's ups and downs and i'm trying you know mm-hmm. right now and the, the schmo got funded by somebody and he's doing great um and and good for him but i i would love to find that kind of funding to be there for all these shows but again that's just another obstacle to overcome right another yeah. mountain to climb. In, you got to go. Life's peaks and valleys. It's not going to be, what did Rocky say to his kid? Oh, he's been all sunshine and rainbows, kid. And it, you know, that's one of the best monologues in the history of the movies. If you're into the mindset, um, motivation, and you're into, you know, learning how to overcome obstacles in life, you know, life's going to hit you hard. It's going to knock you down. And it's what you do. You What are you going to do? You got to get up and you got to keep fighting. So it's constantly happening to me. And it's, it's something I'm constantly dealing with. And I, and I know, Almost every single person, no matter whether you're me or Dana White with $700 million, he's dealing with it every day now. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. We're all going to have to overcome these things in one way or another if we're going to have any kind of success and do the things that fill us up and, and light us on fire in this life. And we're not here long, so we might as well, right?
5: Yeah, exactly. You know, we never know what tomorrow's going to bring and if we're going to be able to keep doing what we're doing. So Making the most of it is, is all we can really do, and that's the that's most important. Um, And you talked about, you know, kids and and the story that Rocky told, and it is a great transition because there's a story you told somewhere in between these two. I believe it's after the Anaheim trip that you were walking your kids, probably the bus stop, maybe to school. I can't remember. And I don't want to tell too much of it because I want you to be able to. But basically what happened was one of your kids, probably the youngest, essentially said, hey, slow down because I have short legs. Do you remember this?
2: vaguely. I didn't know where you were going with this. Slow down because yeah, so I have short legs. I'm trying to think what that was. I, I do so legs. many of these with my kids.
5: Right. And, and and basically the whole gist of the story is and your message you shared, maybe this will jog it, the world's not going to wait for you. So you're going to have to speed up. And and, and I remember because you, you told the story and you guys are booking it, trying to get to the, the bus stop or the school. And probably the youngest they said, hey, you, you guys need to slow down because I have short legs. And you were like, no you need to speed up. You're going to have to walk faster because you have shorter legs. And it's such a great message. Like you can't expect the world to adjust for you yet. People do so many people expect the world to adjust for them. And, and, and then it lose out in the end, but you're like, no, you got to speed up. And I'm sure people would hear that as a parent and, and scoff at that. And think that's the worst thing you could say to a kid, but it's not to me. It's the best thing you could say. Oh to a kid.
2: no, I agree with you, man. And we're East coast in this regard. And we're, this is generational too, I believe because, yeah. Fucking millennial participation trophies. I've ruined America. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to. But I mean, in a way, it's true, right? So I don't uh, disagree with you. Played, man, not at all. When my son first played baseball, they tried to give him a participation trophy. I said, if you give him that trophy, I'm throwing it in the garbage because you shouldn't get a trophy for participating. We paid for him to participate so he can have an activity right. to do. You shouldn't get a trophy for showing up. Showing up guarantees you nothing in life. So you got to be there. Like, I got to be there. I got to show up at these events. But if I show up and I sit on my hands and I don't say a word, then what am I really doing? So I remember the day you're talking about, and it's always been something I tell my kids. The world waits for no one. If you're constantly expecting people to adapt and adjust for you, you're going to have a long fucking life. And you're going to have that victim mentality that people can't stand. You're never going to be a problem solver. You're not going to figure out how to get shit done. You have to keep up in this world because if you don't, no one gives a shit. And that's true. And I don't talk to my kids like this. Sometimes I do. But no one gives a shit, Greg. No one cares. If you can't keep up, if you can't lead the way or at least keep up, whatever field you're in, if you're a doctor and you're not keeping up, you're a surgeon and you're not – my son's going to be a neurosurgeon. You're not keeping up with the technology and you're not keeping up with the new ways to do surgery, people are going to pass you and beat you and eventually you're done. If you're in technology, these new phones we get every time, you know, TVs, every single thing we use in the world – Technology, if you're in that field and you're not staying up to date, if you're not doing continuing education in whatever field you're in and getting better and keeping up with what's going on, and not only keeping up with it, trying to stay out in front of it, which is futile. You know, it's like trying to catch Michael Phelps in a pool. Good luck, right? But you're trying and you're not saying, but Michael, you're six inches taller than me and you practice every day. Like, you know, you swim. You know, if there's a shark chasing you and you got to get to the boat, you'll swim like Michael Phelps, guaranteed, right? Uh, he'll still swim faster, but you'll get the most out of your body that you can get out of it. And what I want my kids to realize is, look, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're Asian, whether you're, you know, Mexican or or whatever you. I have friends all over the world from different places in Europe. No matter what we are, male, female, young, old, you can use any excuse you want as to why you're not where you are, or not doing what you want to do, or quote, someone's keeping you down. And many of those excuses. As we've seen, especially recently, are incredibly valid. There are people whose excuses are legitimate. But did Martin Luther King use an excuse? No. Has no. You know, Jack Miles? You ever see him speak? Has he used an excuse? What about Kerwin Bell, the guy with no arms and no legs? Right? Isn't that Kerwin Bell? Yeah. I'm trying to, as I might have my my yeah. No arms, no legs. He's one of the top speakers in the world. He has better excuse than anyone. My friend Dallas is in a wheelchair. He got in a bad car accident at 18 years old. Great looking kid, stud athlete, has been in a chair for 20 years. He goes to the UFC and covers the events. He doesn't use it as an excuse. He could use that as an excuse all day long. You ever see someone trying to get around a media day and get around reporters and microphones and fighters and lights in a wheelchair? Good luck. He does it, right? There's no excuse that can stop you. There are excuses as to why it's harder for you than other people. You might have shorter legs, so you better fucking run. (laughs) <laughs> you know what i mean because what I, yeah. I, I you know greg um this is one of the ways that i learned this and i always bring everything back to sports i go to the university of miami in 1994 and i try out for the baseball team being an idiot that i am thinking yeah they're only like number one through three in the country every year i'm sure i can make the teams. <laughs> this is before rudy and i was a decent player but come on right so i go to jim morris's office and i proudly announce to him who i am and what i'm gonna do and you know, there's a day when you can try out. I'm playing third base, and he's talking shit to me You know, before. He's like, sure, you're going to be good. Oh, you're going to make the team, huh? Yeah, you know I'm coming in here, right? You know we have the world too. I'm like, coach, don't worry about it. I'm going to be your utility guy. I'm going to be the guy who fires everyone up. I'm a practice player, blah, blah, blah. You know? So, And I said, I'm, I'm coming to be a broadcaster, and my dream is to be a baseball announcer. So I'm playing third base. I'm diving all over the field. Like every ounce of energy to throw the ball. I'm dirty. I'm sweating. I'm all cut up. I'm taking BP on the field. And this third baseman next to me, a freshman from California, who's six foot four, 235 pounds, just like go-go gadget arm, not even breaking a sweat, barely flicking his wrist, the ball's going 100 miles an hour. And you realize at that point, wow, <laughs> this is what it's like here. You know, and then you see it like the UFC compared to the local shows. You see it and you're like, wow, wow, it's amazing to see the difference in talent and to see Alex Cora was the shortstop. Do You know who the third baseman was? Pat Burrell. Really? So Pat Burrow was the third baseman. Alex Cora was the shortstop. And I'm trying out for third base. And they're laughing at me. And they're, they're, they were cool, right? And Alex Cora was stealing signs. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> I shouldn't say that about Alex. He's a good dude. But so um, literally, but they beat the Yankees stealing the signs. So F them. But I go, I go walk past Jim Morris. And he goes, where are you going, man? And I, I point up to the press box. And I go up there. And he goes, Probably a good move for you. And he goes, Hey son, he goes, I gotta tell you something. He goes, I don't know where you're going in your life, but I want you to know one thing. And I go, What? He goes, the best thing you can do is know your limitations, give your best anyway, and worry about plan B when the time comes. And that's you know, it goes back to what I told my kid, like if if your legs aren't long enough, find a way to keep up. And if you can't, find another road to take where the people are walking slower and you can beat them. Because I was never gonna dunk on Shaq, so why try? right? Why try to play in the NBA? Why try? You have to be reasonable with your goals. You have to be reasonable with your big visions and your dreams. You don't, you can dream as big as you want. Surgeon in the world, be on the moon, be Elon Musk, be Joe Rogan, be whoever you want. Sure. But you know, I wasn't going to be dunking on Shaq. So if my son's legs weren't long enough to keep up, he would figure out a way to keep up or he Mm -hmm. would choose a road where he would be able to to beat the other people. And, and to me, that's light. you got to identify where you can go and be the best that you can be. And you got to be really good and really quick with it.
5: Yeah. Cause even if, if, if life adjusts for kids, there comes a point where it just stops adjusting and then you get left behind. And really, if you get left behind, you kind of left yourself behind. And, and it's a tough message to deliver as a parent, because you want to provide and you want to nurture and you want to coddle, but you can't. And, and it's, it's something that my wife and I believe in big time and, and, my kids can hear this right now, so they probably can. Since we're at home. They're probably shaking their heads, and, and they know it. But, man, when they get older, they're going to thank us for it. And, and I think yours are going to be thanking you for it as well. I know they are, just just based on what you're saying. So I appreciate you sharing that story and, and the perspective and all the stories. You got, you're loaded with stories, and I love it. And I know that the people that are listening to this that means I'm are old. going to love it. <laughs> But hey, the experience is there. I'm not that far behind you. I am behind you, but I'm not that far behind you. You see um, the grays
2: and the beard, man. You know, when we're talking about 90s football, Miami and Virginia uh-huh. Tech, man, we might we might
5: as well be at the retirement home. We're one step away. <laughs> But but we believe next year that could be, you know, the most important game of the season again. So that's uh, that's how it is for us. One of the things that you advocated for in the the end, and this will be one of our last topics we talk about, was was the possibility of seeing MMA included as an Olympic sport. And, of course, you know, due to coronavirus and everything we've talked about, Olympics not taking place in 2020, but in 2021. um, Do you think you'll ever see that, where MMA is part of the Olympic Games?
2: Yes, I do. And I have a lot of good information to back that up. But the first thing I want to say, um, Dana White is going to be a big part of that. And mm-hmm. it's not what Dana White's going to do. It's what he's already done. And the Fertitas and, you know, and, and now the ownership group with Ari Emanuel and the ESPN. How many of you ever thought the UFC would be on ESPN? How many of you ever thought the UFC would be number one on ESPN? Now, there's right. nothing else on ESPN right now. But this time, this coronavirus, the UFC is the only game in town. UFC was the number one hashtag on Twitter the day the riots started, above the riots and above coronavirus. The UFC and MMA were ahead of them on the trends, which is unbelievable, right? But not really when you think about the mentality of the world. But the reason I I say that is to give you a little bit of context. Uh, For about a year and a half, we did a lot of work with UMAP, which is the United States branch of IMAP, which is the International MMA Federation. And they're working to get MMA into the Olympics and have it recognized. Now, IMAP on the international level, they're so far ahead. The UFC loves doing shows overseas. Our problem in the U.S. is every state has a commission. Every state has right. different rules. Can you imagine if a touchdown was six points in Baltimore and four points in Pittsburgh? I mean, that's what we're dealing <laughs> with. It's, it's exaggerated. but So it's literally, it's been in the works for years. A lot of the individual disciplines are or have been in the Olympics, whether it's boxing, whether it's judo, whether, you know, different things like that, kickboxing, have been an international competition and and done really well. But more so than that, the MMA fighters have become way more famous than any of those other athletes with the boxers notwithstanding. But even now, the boxers included, because as Dana so eloquently pointed out a couple days ago, top rank almost lost to Cornhole the other night in the ratings. And then he had a few choice words for Bob Arum. But, but, With what the UFC's done, you look at Bellator's numbers with Coker and my buddy Mike Goldberg and John McCarthy and what they're doing. They they get over a million people on some of their shows. And and the sport in general growing the way it is and so many young kids training now. I believe that the Olympics, like every other organization in the world, NCAA can say what they want about amateur shit. They're all full of crap. We've known that forever. Um, And it wasn't exposed for the longest time, but now it is and the NFL, and the NBA, and the UFC, and every sports league ever invented, every sports competition ever invented, they follow the money. Well, the bigger MMA gets, the more money, the more Conor McGregor's come along, the more Ronda Rousey's come along, who was an Olympian, the more Daniel Cormier's two-division champ, who was also an Olympian, Henry Cejudo, Olympic gold medalist, two-division UFC champ, the more Olympians who become famous and start advocating for it, the bigger the names become on these boards. And now IMAS, and I don't know how many countries they're in now, but it's a ton of countries, like over, I mean, over 100 countries. And in the U.S., UMass, what they do, sanctioning and putting on national championships, sending fighters to the world championships. Um, And it's been amazing. It was amazing for me to be a part of it for two years and see how they did it. But their number one objective is to get mixed martial arts in the Olympics. And I believe it will happen. I believe it will happen at first, obviously, as an experimental sport. But it's so much better than almost every other sport. I think the the, the hard part is, Greg, and this is where the IMAP World Championships were, they're brutal on the fighters because mm-hmm. you had like a two-pound allowance every day. If you weighed in at your weight, maybe a pound and a half allowance every day. Fighters ended right. up competing four or five times in five days to win a gold medal. <laughs> that's brutal for a fighter that's used to fighting like once every two, three, four, five months. But, yeah. you know, when you when you want to win a gold medal, you have to stay on weight which means you get the fighters fighting more at their truer weight without these drastic weight cuts that we see on the professional level, which is actually way better for the fighters and way better for the sport. I do believe that that system would work at the Olympics. And I believe that it will be there.
5: Yeah. You know, people can go to it's I M M a F.org. Their site is loaded with some great information as I'm checking it out oh. right now, because they are all over the world and, and, and the, the sport it, it looks different yeah it it's it's it looks like something you could actually see at the olympics and and i could really could really see that happening you You brought up something that I just want to dig into real quick you talked about cutting weight and I was a high school wrestler, and i my high school was very different about cutting weight than most because my high school coach had actually uh in in prior experiences and he was a two time division two national champion. Many years before that, but he he lost a friend due to extreme weight cutting in in wrestling. So we had to make a certain weight by Thanksgiving and live there for the rest of the wrestling season. And I it was just reminded because we would go to huge tournaments, two three day tournaments, and and I remember because we'd have a, a match on like a Thursday and then Friday was day one of the tournament Saturday was day two Sunday was day three and you get a pound every day and you just love getting that pound every day. And it was just such an a, you're just so happy to get that pound and be able to eat something after because you had to weigh in every morning. And just, it's a world that I don't think people can understand. Can anything be done about cutting weight and and just to make it better for the human being side of things? Mm, Man, it's, you know,
2: it's hard unless it's unless it's universal, but California has done some things where you have to weigh in within a certain number of pounds on fight day because you've had guys who are 25 pounds heavier 24 hours later when they're, yeah. weighing, you know, and when, when they moved the weigh-ins to the mornings and gave them 36 hours to, you know, get rehydrated. And you're, you weren't, when the weigh-ins were, the, when the ceremonial weigh-ins were the official weigh-ins in the afternoons and they had 24 mm-hmm. hours before the fight, you never saw the best version of those fighters in the cage. Right. was the heavyweight. You never saw it because that was them after a weight cut without being properly replenished and refueled. Now you add 12 hours, it changes a lot or, or eight hours, 10 hours, whatever. It changes a lot, but you're still, I don't believe getting the best version of that athlete after what they're doing is basically sucking all the water out of their mm-hmm. body based on perfect timing, sucking all the water out, getting off the scale, putting it all right back in. That's what they're doing. That's what a weight cut is. You know it. I know it. Most people don't know yeah. it if you're listening. You're literally draining the fluid from your body, which, as you know, the human body is made up of what? Water. You're fucking yeah. with your life when you're doing that, right? And people have died from it. Um, you haven't had a high-profile UFC fighter die from it, but you've seen – and you've had fighter. I know Tim Means, for one, collapsed in the sauna. You've had people who were close. You've had Khabib mm-hmm. going to the hospital because of it. Remember when he was going to fight Cucuy a few years yeah. back? Um, the week of the fight, you've had a lot of incidents with it with, with high name fighters who could have had some disastrous consequences. But until you have everybody fighting within a few pounds of what they walk around at, you know, um, I was happy when Kelvin Gastelum. We talked about him earlier. My buddy, good friend of mine. I was happy to see him go up to 85 because even though he's smaller than a lot of those taller guys up there him cutting to 170 when he's walking around 205 solid muscle, yeah. or Johnny Hendricks ruined his career trying to get back down on weight. Um, there's so many things that go into it, man, where you're just, you know, and, and the SADA testing and you can't take anything. It's 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 so hard. And then people talking about, like, Tony Ferguson making weight and then doing it again. Did that affect him? I don't believe it affected him, but, you know, that's something where, you know, you're making weight for a fight and then you find out you're fighting two weeks later. Um, yeah. it, it's just, it, it's really... It's a tough situation. Um, the one person I know who tried to do it the right way was Aaron Simpson. Um, he was fighting at middleweight, and he was 188 pounds walking around fighting at 185. Easy weight cut, always fighting at yeah. the strongest. But the problem was he's fighting against guys who were twice as many when he fought Honey Marks. I remember, like, holy shit, Aaron looks like a midget compared to him, Right because they blow up like balloons after they take all the water out of their system. Like, like Paulo Costa, for example, and Yoel Romero. I mean, these guys, like, they're like one step away from death when they weigh in. And I've been there for Paulo Costa's weight cut. And holy shit, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see that. I was there with Henry and Captain Eric Albadese, and These guys have been really good to me. I'm there watching Paulo Costa shrink himself down to nothing in Anaheim before the Yoel Romero fight. And in that fight, his opponent was doing the same thing. But when you're fighting Izzy, and Izzy's not cutting like that, that could be a huge advantage for the champion. But my point is, Paulo shriveled up in the ground, on the ground in a sauna suit. There's a giant puddle of sweat people have. Mops, a thousand towels. I mean, it's not pretty, Greg. It's not pretty to cut that much weight. And, you know, Aaron, then he tried to go down to welterweight. And then by then, his UFC career was over, and he got knocked out by Josh Berkman in WSOF. But his heart wasn't in anymore. But had he been right. cutting down to welterweight the whole time, and then on a more level playing field, because that's why no one will do it, because then you're on an uneven playing field. But if everyone's doing the same thing, you know, then it, then it's fair. But if if some people are and some people aren't, then it's not fair.
5: Yeah, and as and I'm a fan. like I'm not an analyst, and and, and you know if we're talking pro wrestling be here all day giving you an analytical side but i don't have that knowledge you have but as a fan i want to see the best people fighting at the best now i know about cutting weight because i was a high school wrestler at best right I was, I was a decent high school wrestler you know never you know i think place like that that's as good as i did but were you were you better than weeks later probably i don't know i don't know um that's a that's a come throwback. get some preppy. if you have, i wonder you how many people listen mario and, lopez i was gonna say, I was saying, I wonder how many people listening don't even know that that's from Saved by the Bell. Like they have no idea. So that's just amazing. They know who um, Mario
2: Lopez is, though, from uh, of what course show they is do.
5: The he's one of them. I don't know which one it is, but yeah, he's on one of those entertainment shows. That the I don't tablet watch. shows, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, as, as a fan, you want to see the best, and you want to see the best fighters go out there and and, and do what they do best, and and that's why why we watch them. And I could go on all day. We kicked this thing off with a song, and it was Sky's the Limit by Notorious B.I.G., and and one of the things that people who have been listening to this since I rebooted this project, uh, this is the sixth one now, um, I I have a song that we intro the guests with and talk about that song at the end. So you picked that song, obviously. Why? Why why did you pick that song?
2: Uh, Well, I can pick the song that I would really pick. My number one song, I used to ring announce for years, and, you know, I mean, I would, I would always listen to, um, and I don't even want to say it because of what's going on in the world. And I want people to say that I said this word, but Jay Z and Kanye West in Paris, you know? Um, and right. you know, there's a, there's a verse at the end of that song, whereas the stars is in the building, their hands are to the ceiling. I know I'm about to kill it. How, you know, I got that feeling. You are now watching the throne. Don't let me get in my zone. I love that verse. And I always play that before I do anything, but I play sky's the limit by notorious B.I.G. Biggie before that. Now, I'm a Connecticut kid. Anyone who grew up in Connecticut, you were a rep in Boston or you were a rep in New York. I was always rep in New York. And I literally grew up on the halfway line. It was identically two and a half hours each way, Boston and New York. You're a Yankee fan. You're a Red Sox fan. You fight every day. Um, and so we, we fancied ourselves as New Yorkers. We always went to New York and big into the New York hip-hop scene as a kid. I saw Nas before he blew up. I saw Jay-Z before he blew up. I saw Biggie before he blew up. I saw so many of the biggest rappers bust the rhymes before they got big, because that's how you get big. You put on concerts in the park. And, you know, I saw basketball at the Rucker and, you know, there's things about New York city. And back then it was all about MCs. Cause it used to be about the DJ. And then all of a sudden, here comes LL Cool J at 16 years old. And here comes rock him. And here comes ETMD, Eric and Parrish. And here, you know, all these guys are setting the table and then that next generation hits. And Tupac's East Coast, by the way. Sorry, all you West Coast people. He was born in New York and raised in Baltimore. A little bit on, in Oakland, but Tupac Shakur was East Coast to the bone. Make no mistake about it. And so was Christopher Wallace, Notorious B.I.G. And my age, my era, my generation, it became Biggie and Pac because of the war and the feud and, you know, Suge Knight instigating most of that. Um, NWA came out. The West Coast was on the scene. You know, I mean, I love both. But, as a as an East Coast and a quote unquote New York guy, Biggie was our guy. Jay Z can claim it all he wants. Jay Z's full of shit and he knows it. It was Big's city, without a <laughs> doubt. It was Craig Max flavor in year. Then Big came out. It was all Big, all bad boy. Jay Z blew up after Big was gone. He knows it. Everyone knows it. The world knows it. Not taking anything away from Jay, he inherited that throne and he took it from Nas, which I never thought he would do. But Biggie was our guy. Everyone loved Biggie. Not only because he was great, not only because he was New York, not only because he was hardcore, but because he was average. He was big, he was fat, he was ugly. He rapped about being fat and ugly and still getting fine girls. He was the American dream from bedside, right? Selling drugs in the streets, having no money. Um, The song talks about him sewing tigers on his shirt because he didn't have the money for the fancy clothes. I actually did that. My stepfather was an upholsterer, tried to make me a knockoff version of a fancy shirt because we couldn't afford it, and he saw it right. on the Cosby show, and he thought he, he thought he could do a better job than what they did for one of the Cosby kids. True story. So I, I did sew like an alligator on my shirt for Lacoste, for Izod. So Biggie was like, I'm sewing tigers on my shirt, and alligators. You want to see the inside? I'll see you later. So when I heard that song, that's when Big elevated. And if you watch the movie Notorious, he's smiling in the studio because he knew he had made it, and he had evolved, and he was as far from the street as he could be. But it's such an inspirational song. He talked about going from ashy to classy. He talked about no one ever being as broke as him. And he raps about what happened in school and how, you know, people buying him milks at lunch. And, and it just just talked about his journey to making it to the top. And the last line of that song, which I, I, I didn't hear in the intro, because it's not at the beginning of the song, but I'm hoping we hear it at the end, is stay far from timid, only make moves when your heart's in it, and live the phrase, sky's the limit, Right? Stay far from timid, don't be afraid, only make moves when your heart's in it, only do stuff you love, and live the phrase sky's the limit, meaning there is no limit to what you can accomplish. Those three sentences from the greatest rapper who ever lived, when you hear, I have goosebumps the size of golf balls right now, every time I hear that song, I'll get on 100 more Greyhound buses. I will fight people for that microphone because to come from where he came from, the childhood that I came from, The things that I've overcome in my life, those of you listening, we've all had our crosses to bear. Everyone has that story and probably more than that. But when you hear someone like Biggie, Whitley in a song, in a lyric, that's why music is so powerful. And it doesn't have to be a hip hop, Greg, it could be heavy metal, it could be country music, which it could be any of that. But. In fact, my son went on a date, and he goes, I go, what's wrong with her? Is there anything wrong with her? You're saying all these great – he goes, she likes country music, Dad. I'm like, oh, that's a big one, son. You sure about this? But um, so literally, like, when you hear a great artist bring something to life like that, and it's so motivating and so inspiring, and he's a regular dude like you, you're like, wow, man. You know, this, he's, he's, he's rapping those bars for me. And everyone who hears it's thinking the same thing. That's why I love that song and all songs like it. Jim
5: at cage side seat MMA, cage side seat MMA dot com. Go back out all uh, your book contact information. Jim. This has thank you enough for of, of your time. Come out here to give information to, to people. Uh, I mean, there's so many life lessons that people can get from this. Uh, you know, I just hope people. Uh, I wrote, I took some notes. Obviously, and there's way more than this, but. Um, Two things that I want people to remember. Three, number one, feed the people, which is super important. That goes back to your job of, on the cost. Um, worry about playing when the time comes. The most important one, I think, for people to realize is enjoy the journey, even the shitty parts. And I just think it's oh, awesome here and help people learn from that journey. And I, I know you're not going to stop learning and, and appreciate the time you spent and being able to come on and do this for everybody.
2: Thank you, Greg. And you know what, man? Like, you've reached out to me, and it's how we got connected. You know, um, we know some of the same people, but you reached out to me on social media, and we started a little dialogue, sending messages back and forth here and there. And you've always been really supportive, and and I, I really appreciate you. And, you know, I really appreciate you having me on. I love what you're doing. Keep the show going. It's awesome. Keep living your dreams, following them every chance you get, because, you know, you're one of the good guys, man. Even though you went to Virginia Tech, we can see past that. But it's, it's – dude, I'm all kidding aside, I, I really – so many people reach out to me and, and they say, man, we love your journey, we appreciate you. But you actually went deeper than that with me. And, and um, you know, we became friends and I appreciate you and I appreciate what you're doing. And I hope that, um, that someone listening to this can get something out of the stories that we're telling today because we're just a couple of guys from the East Coast who went the long way. Um, you went to Virginia, New York, Yukon, all these, Arizona. I was Connecticut, Florida, Arizona. We, we've been following our passion throughout life. And, if there, and I know I, I can't speak for you, but I'm sure your, your kids would agree. When they see their dad living his passion and they see their dad doing what he loves to do, no matter what he's had to do to do it, that leaves an impact. And it's something that they'll remember about you for the rest of their lives. Hopefully they'll do the same. You know, and I, I like to call it the East coast in us. That's what I like to call it. Yeah,
5: it is. It really is. I remember, uh, years ago, I, I helped run a wrestling show for a company called ring of honor and, and their vice president flew out from the East coast. And he was just like, he's like, everything's so much slower here. Like that's <laughs> exactly so much slower here is really his first comparison of Arizona to, to, to Philly, which is where he was from is that East coast mentality. And, and that's never left me, you know, i um, I'm good with the weather, whether it's hot, whether it's cold, it doesn't bother me. So that's the same as the East Coast, but that East Coast mentality is just never. never I mean, it's just it's, it, We're grinders. We're grinders. That's what we are, and that's what we always will be, and and that's just never ever going to leave us, Jim. And and that's, you know, what it, what it's going to be. And you're right about the kids. I mean, they see it. They talk about it. We push our kids. One's a dancer, and one's a, a soccer player, and we're constantly pushing them. You know, I'm in the midst of of this, this fitness journey that goes back to the end of last summer and up down fifty five pounds and my clothes don't fit and I'm having to buy new stuff and now I'm doing CrossFit and it's like I know they see that and I know they learn from that and I know you know their life's gonna happen down. It's just like mine and my wife's have and uh and yeah, yeah we're, we're preparing them for that now, whether we whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not. We're prepping awesome,
2: them. Man, we didn't get to that. And I can't believe I made it through a whole episode of of the chair shot with Greg. And listen, I didn't even talk any wrestling at all on Chair Shot. And so to me, like I I grew up, one of the highlights of my life, and I have to, before we wrap it up, I have to, have to, have to, as a huge WWF fan as a kid, screw the World Wildlife Federation, as a WWF fan, as a kid, watching Hulk Hogan, the Iron Sheik at Madison Square Garden, and go Mm -hmm. on that run with Hulkamania, and Superfly Snooka, and all those guys growing up, huge, I never missed a show, the Macho Man, oh yeah, so... One of the highlights of my life, my grandfather, who was my hero, took me to a wrestling match at the Hartford Civic Center when I was 12 years old. He got floor seats. I hear, (laughs) The whole place goes nuts. Everyone knows the Hulkster's coming out. To this day, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone as big. McGregor coming out, maybe. Larger than life, like Hulk Hogan. When he came out. I got to slap him in the chest as he walked by. He was a giant of a person. Um, We used to go watch the WrestleManias on closed circuit TV. And then Mm -hmm. I I know we could go forever, but I have one last wrestling story. One of my favorite wrestlers back then, my favorite tag team, Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas, tag team champion, right? Well, as we know, Rocky Johnson was, God rest his soul now, he just passed away this year, the father of of the biggest star in Hollywood right now, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, who was a defensive tackle at the University of Miami when I got to school there and the first interview I ever did in my career in the University of Miami room was Dwayne Johnson because I went up to him and he was a pudgy Samoan defensive lineman. He looked more Samoan than anything, still does actually, but he had a huge afro. He was pudgy and, and close to 300 pounds and he goes, what do you want to interview me for? He goes, I'm hurt. And he lost his, his starting job to Warren Sapp that year. And he, I interviewed him because his father was Rocky Johnson, and I wanted to talk to him about being Rocky Johnson's son and being a football player. He told me he wanted nothing to do with the wrestling business and didn't know what he wanted to do yeah. other than football. He ends up being one of the top three stars in the history of the business, goes on to be the number one star in Hollywood because you've got to put him up there with Hogan and Stone Cold. And I'd say Ric Flair, that's four, right? The big stuff. maybe Shawn Michaels is five, maybe Triple H. I don't know, but probably Shawn Michaels would be that fifth one. But The Rock is up there. And it all started because his dad was a wrestler and I interviewed him because he was Rocky Johnson. Well, fast forward, five more interviews over the years with The Rock. And it was because of that one time I, I always remind him. and He's like, you're that fucking guy. And I'm like, I'm that fucking guy. (laughs)
5: and and he
2: calls his wife over at the time he's married he goes Danny this guy wanted to interview me in the football locker room with Warren Sapp and Ray Lewis standing right next to me because my dad was Rocky Johnson and they both looked at me like I was crazy I'm like I was a wrestling fan man and 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 the rock goes wrestling fans and I'm like yep wrestling fans